Oh, I love that so much. Little Joe, Joe Washington himself on the ref earlier with Steely and First question that Mike asked him was, uh, hey, uh, how much money could you make in the NIL if you're playing nowadays? And little Joe basically says, ah, I don't even know if uh, teams could afford me back then, which I, I love that. That's that's awesome. And he's going to be in town for the spring game this weekend. A lot of people going to be in town for the spring game this weekend. And I say a lot of people, Parker, because uh, it's on our Twitter page right now, at KREF Sports. OU fans, what's your spring game attendance guess? And we've got a ton of responses, too many to count. But as I scroll down here, I'm really not seeing any responses that are lower than 50,000. So, like, 50,000 is kind of the baseline expectations for fans this weekend. And it goes up to anywhere from 55,000 to 63,000 to 80,000. General Stutzman's Army says 120,000. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but it seems like the uh, the baseline for what's a successful weekend, at least with the fan base, kind of starts at 50K for attendance on Saturday. Yeah, listen, if you don't get to 50K, then this fan base failed and they should all be forced to run gassers with Schmitty. I think that's a fair way to look at this. <laughs> oh, no, I won't be. I will not be in shape to do that on Saturday. Please, well, better get to 50,000 then. You guys better show up. Let's go. Yeah, uh, 50,000. I've said it all week long. I think that's a good number. Um, anything over than 50,000, I think is a, is a really good spring game attendance that won't get you the largest attendance in all of college football, man, I, I, I'm interested to see what Nebraska has this weekend. Like Nebraska is famous for having ridiculous spring game crowds. And with the first year head coach feels like there's excitement there. Parker, they may get close to like 80 K up there. If they don't completely pack out Memorial Stadium up there in Lincoln, they're going to come close because there is – I would say there is more excitement about this era of Nebraska football than there was even at the beginning of the Scott Frost era before anybody knew that Scott Frost was Scott Frost. Like People are stoked about Matt Rule and his regime up there in Lincoln. So, yes, I expect them to have a very well-attended spring game. Obviously, we expect Colorado to have a very well-attended spring game. I think those are the two programs that are really going to set the tone in college football this time around in terms of spring game attendance. Yeah, Colorado sold out. Uh, they don't have an 80,000-seat stadium or anything like that. Folsom Field is it doesn't hold a lot, but still they, they sold it out at Colorado, which is still impressive. Uh, okay, so here is the game format released by OU Football earlier today. So we know the point system, okay? We, we've, we've gone down that a few times. Uh, the defense is the white team. The offense is the red team. We're going to have four 12-minute quarters. Four 12-minute quarters. Now, here's where it gets a little bit tricky, Parker. Okay. At the start of the fourth quarter, a target score will be generated oh, no. by adding 12 points to the leading team's score. If one of the teams reaches that target score before the fourth quarter expires, that team wins. If the target score is not reached by either team, the team leading when the clock expires wins. So let's say, for instance, that the offense is winning and they have 40 points. I guess the the fourth quarter is essentially the first one to get to 52. And if no one gets to 52 after 12 minutes, then the game is over and who's ever winning wins. So... Everyone got that? We we good for Saturday now? Going to need a game program to, to, to know how this this whole thing is going. I don't know. Maybe I'm being anal about this, Tyler, but why, why can't we just have a normal football game? <laughs> is that so much to ask? 
it's it's just interesting that um, and I'm not going to sit here and complain too much about it. Whatever, I'll probably have the same takeaways regardless of the structure, but. It is a little bit interesting that they're doing this unique scoring system and this unique format when last year was so standard. And they had a, a lot of success last year when it was standard, right? So I don't know if this is because of injuries or, or, or what the reason is, but Parker, they've essentially done a complete 180 from what they did last year. What, was there anything that was different about last year's spring game? I'm trying to think, or was it legitimately just four 12-minute quarters of straight football? I think, I think that's it what it was, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was completely yeah, it was, conventional. It was standard. Yeah, it, it, it was totally standard. So, I, I, whatever, it's fine. We'll still have a good time on Saturday, uh, at least I think. The, uh, the forecast is down a few degrees from yesterday, 59 for the high, 17-mile-per-hour winds. So it won't be the most beautiful day ever, but it'll be good enough for football on Saturday. Great text uh, from the 918. I've already graduated. Why the crap do I have to do quantum mechanics <laughs> to figure out who's winning the game? Especially when everyone's going to be drinking at Yo Pablo with us before the game. Yeah, no kidding. And after the game. Got to have the, the encore performance, man. Yo Pablo before the game, Yo Pablo after the game. That's going to be the place to be, people. Do we know what the spring game midfield logo is going to be? That's always a big deal. Do we need to contact Jason over there? Yeah, Jason Ferris, where are you at? Jason, let us know. What's the midfield logo? Because normally, don't don't they normally, I I feel like for the past seven, eight years, they've come up with like the state of Oklahoma or an old school uh, OU helmet that they've had at the 50. But I haven't heard any scuttlebutt on what the uh, midfield logo is going to look like. And I'm a little bit interested to hear what it is. What's the most outlandish but also realistic possibility in your mind? Um, that you just put David Stone at the 50-yard line. No logo, just David Stone. A PS5 controller in honor of Kyler Murray? <laughs> wow. Yeah, you've been waiting for to throw that out there, huh? Yeah, do you like the Kyler Murray autograph but the PlayStation controller under that? Now you're thinking. They, they did do something with Baker last year. Didn't they do that at, like, the 25s? Yeah, they did. Have, the like, little, a six? Yeah, the six. Yeah. I wonder if they'll have, like, a one or, as you say, a PlayStation controller at the 25-yard line or something like that. I don't know. Midfield logo with silver shoes with a smoking cigar. Ooh, I like that idea. I like that a lot. That, that, that's a pretty cool idea. Probably not going to happen. Uh, a 69 jersey with layman on the nameplate says a texture in the 918. Nice. Uh, texture in the 501 says a video game controller. Okay. All right. So 405-651-3439. Roll them in. Um, what's, what's everyone's uh, Thursday favorite on game MVP? Because someone's going to have to talk me out of Tawi Walker, Parker. I'm really starting to trend as Tawi Walker being the game MVP this weekend. Really? You could make a case he was the game MVP last year. Yeah. Um, I feel like everybody kind of handed it to Jaden Gibson after he caught a 95-yard touchdown pass. But overall, I remember everybody walking away from the spring game going, oh, oh, Tommy Walker can play some ball. Now, granted, there's always that walk-on running back that flashes in the spring game. It was Jaden Knowles the year before that. Do you remember that? And Jaden Knowles, Daniel Brooks has been that guy. Todd Hudson. Uh, Todd Hudson, golly, it's a lot of like five foot five, five foot six running backs. Like this is their game, Parker. If you're if you're under five foot nine and you're a a, a running back, then this is your moment. Chapman McCown, that's your <laughs> yes, spring game you MVP go. right there. You do have that guy on the roster, Chapman McCown. Chapman McCown breaks an uh, eighty yard touchdown run. No, I I mean I, I picked Tawie Walker. I I guess for a, a little bit bigger of a point for this team, it's. 
Yeah, he was good in the spring game last year. I, it, it sounds like he's had a really nice spring. Now, not in the sense of, you know, that he's going to be there with Barnes and Sawchuck as the one-two, but a big spring in that maybe he's elevated himself as he's could potentially have a role within this offense and maybe be that third back. And I, I guess it goes to the bigger point of, okay, like, well, now that spring ball is coming to an end, what individual players, what position groups have had a really good spring? Well, the running backs haven't been able to necessarily stay healthy, but the freshmen have looked good. Tawie Walker has looked really good. So even despite the injuries, Parker, I might argue that the running backs have had a good spring just because you knew what your one-two was going to be coming into the year. Yeah. And now with Tawie Walker and some others, like you, you, you kind of even feel better about that spot if they get healthy again. Certainly. And you have Marcus Major on the roster for, for what that's worth at this point. If he pops, great. If not, I don't think anybody expects him to. But Caleb Hicks has made huge strides. Dalen Smothers has turned some heads. DeMarco Murray has a really, really talented and really, really deep running back room. And that is in stark contrast to the OU running back room that we were talking about just two years ago when they had virtually nobody after Seth McGowan and Mikey Henderson were dismissed from the program, you had Kennedy Brooks. They went to the portal to get Eric Ray, but that was pretty much it. There was conversation about Brian Darby and Jeremiah Hall playing running back if an emergency yeah. situation arose. There is no emergency situation in danger of arising this time around for Oklahoma. So really, really impressed with what Murray has been able to build over the last couple of cycles in the Oklahoma running back room, not just amongst the scholarship guys, but amongst the walk-ons with Walker and Chapman McCown, and if he ever gets right physically, and Mecca Megwa too. So who who else are we talking about on the offense that's had a really good spring? I, I don't know if you've had your true, legit number one emerge at wide receiver, but I might throw the wide receivers in that category as well because it sounds like Nick Anderson's had a really nice spring. They really like what they have with Andrew Anthony. What you were hoping to get out of Jaleel Farouk is, at least in a recent scrimmage, it sounded like that happened. And then Gavin Freeman, I think very quietly, has had a good spring too. So maybe that number one guy hasn't developed, but just kind of up and down at wide receiver, it, it sounds like they've had a good spring too. I think your number one guy by default in that room is Jaleel Farouk. Until proven otherwise, he's the guy that's been most productive to this point. I guess in terms of overall production, it's Drake Stoops, but realistically, if there's going to be a number one option in this offense, it's not going to be the slot guy. That's never really been Drake Stoops' game. So Jalil Farouk, to me, is the wide receiver one until proven otherwise. You mentioned Andrell Anthony, and he has come on really, really strong. Gavin Freeman is only going to get better and better and better as he continues to get more reps and get more comfortable in the offense after being used only sporadically a season ago. And then, man, I... I know it's. I, 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 we might be taking this to the bank a little bit too early, talking about a guy that's not even on the roster yet, but you throw Brennan Thompson in the mix, and that's another dude you can get excited about if he's an Oklahoma Sooner. What about defense? Uh, Justin Harrington, uh, a nice spring at Cheetah. Who else? Uh, I, I think Kobe McKenzie, absolutely. Yep. A lot of you are texting in and saying that he's going to be the game MVP on Saturday. Who else are we talking about defensively this spring that uh, they, they've had a nice uh, month or so? I would say defensively, you have to start that conversation with probably Kobe and Josiah Wagner. 
Josiah Wagner, I, I legitimately don't know if there's been any player on the entire roster, offense or defense, that I've heard more positive buzz about than Josiah Wagner. And maybe that's just because he's a freshman and expectations weren't as high coming in for him as maybe they were for Macari Vickers. But Josiah Wagner has had himself a spring. And certainly Kobe has flashed. Phil Pichotti's done some nice things. You look at the defensive line, Rondell Bothroyd has looked like a sixth-year senior per everything that I've seen and been told. And our Mason Thomas, man, it feels like we keep coming back to him week after week after week as one of those guys that just seems poised to make a huge impact in 2023 as a true sophomore. Uh, Tyler from Kellyville says Caleb Hicks will be the game MVP. Uh, Sugar Shane in Newcastle says Nick Anderson will be. I mean, that's that's a uh, that that's if, if it's going to be a wide receiver, they're more than likely going to have to have a big play. And I think whether it's Andrew Anthony or Nick Anderson or Jaleel Farouk, I mean, even Gavin Freeman. But there is absolutely opportunities that a big play can happen for Nick Anderson, and he can be because you're you're really. I think there's some excitement about him, and you're just kind of waiting to see it. So, sure, Nick Anderson makes a big play. He has a couple more nice catches. He's He could be a front-runner for game MVP, too, no doubt. I, I've i said enough nice things about Nick Anderson this spring. I'll continue to say them. I think if you have a breakout performer beyond the obvious this year in Oklahoma's offense this fall, and I say beyond the obvious because Gavin Sawchuck is naturally going to take a big leap in terms of production and Austin Stogner is naturally going to get a ton of action at the tight end position. But beyond that, man, I, I really do think by the time fall camp closes, Nick Anderson will have worked himself into a major role and a major share of the targets in the passing attack. Uh, 405, I have an engineering degree from OU, and I can't even keep up with the scoring system. Seems a bit convoluted and just gimmicky. Uh, 405 says, Petaway. Uh, might make the biggest impact as a freshman. I don't know if I would go there. I don't. Th- I, don't I don't think I would go there for freshman. Um, and he's like the wide receiver core is kind of rounding into shape a little bit. Not to say that he can't break through and play in some big games this year, but I almost feel like that's going to have to happen the back end of the season if if that's going to be the case. I think I th- I think Jaquay's Petaway can carve out a role in this offense. And I, I, I believe that because he's got a remarkable amount of speed and he's also very physically developed. So honestly, when you're looking for somebody that can stretch the field in this offense, Brennan Thompson's going to be the fastest wide receiver in the room, but he's also still pretty slight. He's going to need a few peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a few lifting sessions with Schmitty before he's capable of doing all that he is, Although you're probably going to want him to do in the long term in Oklahoma's offense. But Petaway, man, he is a solid six feet tall. He's muscular. He's a burner. If he shows up and there's not a learning curve and there's not an adjustment period, I think that's a guy with the physical tools to contribute immediately as a freshman. But if I had to pick your most impactful contributor this year in their freshman season – and I, I kind of hate to default to the five stars, but I think you're looking at either P.J. Atabare or Peyton Bowen. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Sean says the KREF host will be the MVP by filling six hours of radio about the spring game. Uh, accurate. I'll be on all six hours of those, so uh, say a prayer for me, coming up with enough content there. 405-651-3439 is the text line. I'm at the center in Norman. Info at the center dash restore.com. Info at the center dash restore.com. You can rent this place. 50% discount for a six-hour rental. Do it now between 6 p.m., uh, between now and 6 p.m., KREF Rental Registry at info at the center-restore.com. You'll get 50% off of uh, renting this awesome space for uh, six hours. More of your text, a whole lot of OU football coming up next. I, I kind of went down the line today. Cincinnati has a quarterback in the portal, so it looks pretty obvious who the Bearcats are going to be starting at QB. I went down the line on uh, every starting quarterback that OU could face in the Big 12 next year. You, you might find it interesting. We'll talk about that coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. It is the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune is with me until 6 p.m. today. 405-651-3439 is the text line. So Ben Jones at the University of Cincinnati has entered into the transfer portal, which means – the Cincinnati starting quarterback this year is probably going to be Emory Jones. Yes, that Emory Jones who actually played against OU in the Cotton Bowl way back in 2020. Uh, how about a full circle moment there for, for Emory Jones? So I think I've got a pretty good idea, Parker, of every single quarterback OU is going to face this year in the Big 12. Uh, tell me if any of these names scare you. First, you've got... Emory Jones of Cincinnati, that's your Big 12 opener on the road. Uh, Hunter Deckers of Iowa State. Quinn Ewers of Texas. John Reese Plumley of uh, UCF. Jalen Daniels of KU. Alan Bowman of Oklahoma State. I think it's going to be Garrett Green at West Virginia. And then at BYU, it's Sol J. Maeva Peters, I think is how you say it. Sol J. He was like a freshman last year. And then Chandler Morris of TCU. What do you think of that potential uh, quarterback group that the OU defense might have to face this year in conference? Okay, so I think that the two that immediately inspire some apprehension are Jalen Daniels and Chandler Morris, and to some extent Quinn Ewers, right? Because for all of Quinn Ewers' struggles last year, he did light it up against Oklahoma. Outside of that, man... (laughs) That lineup of quarterbacks, it's a pretty ragtag bunch, if we're being honest with ourselves. Yeah, that's not – like, Hunter Deckers is – is he just a jag, just a guy? Uh, I think that that's kind of fair to say. There, there's a lot of dual threat in here, though, isn't there? Um, Jalen Daniels, dual threat. Garrett Green, it kind of feels like all he can do is uh, dual threat. That BYU kid, Sol J, can run. Chandler Morris can run. I think Emory Jones can run. So you're, you're not facing a whole lot of traditional pocket passers outside of, like, Ewers and Bowman and maybe Deckers. You're going to be facing a lot of guys that can really run around and make plays this year, which I mean, that may scare some people, but that's kind of what it looks like. It may scare some people, but I also think that in response to that, you need to look at Oklahoma's linebacker core this season in comparison to what it looked like a year ago because I'll give you a perfect example. That third and 16 play against Kansas State in which Adrian Martinez scrambles for 51 yards 
to ice the game with a little over two minutes remaining, where if Oklahoma gets off the field there, they've got a chance to go down drive and tie up the score. The reason Adrian Martinez broke free on that third and 16 play was because it was Deshaun White playing center field for Oklahoma. You get a guy like Deshaun White playing center field, well, Adrian Martinez gets an angle on a guy like that, and you're going to be seeing the back of his jersey very quickly. Well, if you have Deshaun McCullough or you have Jaron Kanick or even, even Shane Witter, Tyler, you have any of those guys in Deshaun White's position right there. Heck, Samuel Masigo, Lewis Carter, throw them in the pile. You have any of those guys playing that position in that moment, Adrian Martinez doesn't get to the sticks. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe not. Um, but that quarterback list is a lot like the schedule, and maybe Ewers has a breakout year. I, I do like Jalen Daniels. Maybe Alan Bowman looks like he did at uh, Texas Tech his freshman year in a select number of games. But for the most part, like that quarterback list doesn't really scare you. I, I don't see – I don't see an All-American. I, I don't know if I've even seen an All-Conference guy on that list of quarterbacks that OU is going to face this year. So, here's a uh, here's a trivia yeah. question on the text line. I actually know the answer, so I'm going to throw it out there. See if you can come up with the answer too, Tyler. I, I can't imagine you'll have any issues with it. Trivia question is, who is the last the quarterback pressure. to start against Oklahoma for two different schools? I don't, I don't appreciate the added pressure to that. Like, hey, you're kind of a moron if you don't get this right. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, um, honestly, who this guy is is like two of my favorite games in the past five years. Uh, the comeback against Texas against Casey Thompson was epic, and the road game at Nebraska last year was pretty awesome too. It's got to be Casey Thompson, Yeah, right? it's Casey Thompson. Okay, all right. Thanks for putting the pressure on me, though. Thankfully, I got that. Don't look like an idiot today. And you really did hit the nail on the head, though. Those were two of the most fun games of the last five years, I would say. Because I don't know if I'll ever experience a football environment slash atmosphere slash moment that compared with that OU Texas game in 2021. And then especially for me as a Nebraskan going back home to watch Oklahoma beat the brakes off the Cornhuskers last September – yeah, very, very fun one. OU took their soul in that game last year. Yeah, they did. I, I, I felt, felt uh, 75,000 souls uh, leave Memorial Stadium somewhere around the mid-stages of the uh, second quarter last year. It was actually, it was actually pretty sad. Uh, I felt bad for them. Ewers equals Chris Sims. That's from the 602 area code. So a lot of OU fans like to say that. Do I laugh every time I see it? Yeah. Do I think there's a chance where that's the case? Yeah. I mean, one's right-handed and the other one's left-handed. And Ewers has beaten OU, and Chris Sims never did that. But if Ewers disappoints again this year and his career just kind of fades out, like I think that will be a very obvious comparison for Quinn Ewers is saying that he was just Chris Sims 2.0, a really highly rated quarterback that never won the big game at Texas. Like I, I think there's a chance that could happen to him. I, <laughs> I, I I think I said this back in, like, June when Arch Manning committed. But it feels like Arch Manning is everything that Quinn Ewers was, who is also everything that Chris Sims was, which is the perfect quarterback for the University of Texas, right? Because you look at those guys and they've got – well, I guess this isn't true for Ewers, but 
the name on the back of the jersey almost means more than what they've actually accomplished on the football field. And it as a university, as a football program, Texas always has expectations set unreasonably high, and they always fail to meet those expectations. So it was for Quinn Ewers last year at Texas, albeit the lone exception was against Oklahoma, sure. But so it was for Chris Sims as well during his time at Texas, and I believe it will be much of the same with Arch Manning calling the shots. I guess Adrian Martinez would qualify as someone that started against OU twice for two different teams, right? K-State last year in Nebraska, the year before that? Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. Adrian Martinez, so yeah. There's been, uh, there's, there's been more than uh, just one player, which is interesting. Uh, text line says, who is OU's biggest competition for williams Winery, who will be at Colorado this weekend? I would say if I had to pick one school, Tennessee. I think Oregon is probably going to have a taller task trying to lure Nwaneri away just because it's so far from home. Missouri kind of had their day, and he was high on Mizzou early. Kind of seems like things are fading there. So at this point, I would be most worried about Tennessee. And depending on whether and where he takes his fifth official, if that's Nebraska slash Georgia, for instance, then maybe things start to get dicey there. But right now I see this as a battle in which Oklahoma occupies the pole position, and then you have Oregon, Tennessee, Missouri kind of all on the podium there. Uh, Georgia defensive lineman Bear Alexander is in the portal. Uh, A lot of questions about him this week. I guess he told Hayes Fawcett every single team that's reached out to him since entering into the transfer portal so you got, like, Arizona State, Wyoming, Memphis, Penn State, Nebraska. But here are kind of the, the notable teams. Texas has reached out to Bear Alexander. Colorado, Miami, Florida, Oregon, USC, and then there's Oklahoma. Now, I, I don't think OU is a I, – I, I don't think that they're the heavy favorite to land Bear Alexander. I think it's probably USC, and that's where I would bet on. But it sounds like OU at least reached out to him for some D-line help. Uh, yes, they have reached. So I guess what, what I'm hearing you say here, Tyler, is that you do not believe Bear Alexander ends up at Wyoming? Wyoming, no, but uh, Jackson State, who's on this list, or Memphis? <laughs> oh, I think they have a great chance. That's hilarious, chance. man. You're looking at that graphic, and there's like, okay, Oregon, Florida, Colorado, OU, all the usual suspects, right? And then there's Jackson State, Wyoming, Memphis, as if any of those schools could allocate enough money to bring Bear Alexander home. Like Bear Alexander probably costs ten to twenty percent of those athletic departments' entire operating budget. Oh, yeah. He'll be making more than the entire offensive staff over there at Wyoming <laughs> if he were to land in. Uh, Was it Laramie? Is where they're uh, located. Um, hey, I, I respect it, Wyoming. They're trying to take the fight to the other Power 5 schools. Wyoming, if they have a good player, they'll end up transferring somewhere else, like they lost a wide receiver to Texas last year. They're trying to get the big fish in the portal this time around. I just have bad news. That's probably not going to happen, guys. I guess the smoke is still on USC with him, right? It was at least on Monday. Yeah, that hasn't really changed. He's going to be on a visit there this weekend, and that's we talk a lot about the smart money when it comes to recruiting because – 
those are kind of the terms in which it is preferential to put it because you don't want to make anything seem like a sure thing after the DJ Hicks ordeal. But the smart money right now is squarely on USC as far as Bear Alexander is concerned. OU's making a run, and that's been reported elsewhere. Our fine national writer at 24-7 Sports, Chris Hummer, said it on 24-7 Sports' college football recruiting show on Wednesday afternoon. Hey, Oklahoma's in this thing. Don't discount OU. But I think the consensus expectation across the industry right now is that if he ends up anywhere other than USC, it'll be surprising. 405-651-3439 is the text line. Hit us up there. Got a lot of college football to get to. Big spring game coming up this weekend, 2.30 on ESPN+. Plus. The current forecast, 59 degrees for the high with 17-mile-per-hour winds. We'll uh, run down the game format that they released earlier today. And I guess we need to update the score if it's released. 5-2, the red team still currently leads the white team. We'll see if there's a score update before we get out of here at 6 p.m. today. Keep it locked right here on The Ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. It is The Rush on The Ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune with you until 6 p.m. 405-651-3439 is the text line. Hey, former Sooner Brandon Moore just got a new head coaching opportunity. Um, he's had some interesting stops in terms of places with unique nicknames, Parker. He was most recently at the Colorado School of Mines Ore Diggers there in Golden, Colorado, who they, they actually played in the national championship game last year. But before the Colorado School of Mines Ore Diggers, he was at Scottsdale Community College, who was the Fighting Artichokes. The Fighting now, Artichokes? He, that's a real thing? It's a real thing, yeah. Scottsdale Community College, Fighting Artichokes. Now he will be going to the University of San Diego uh, they are the Toreros. So a little bit more normal than ore diggers, definitely more normal than fighting artichokes. But it would seem that uh, Brandon Moore, former Sooner, has a type. I'm just in terms very, of schools that he likes to coach at. <laughs> I'm just very, very curious as to how any school comes to be named the fighting artichokes. Yeah. Like, what is the origin of that? Do you think of artichokes when you think of Scottsdale? I don't know. I'm just asking. I, I, I don't. How, I'm just wondering what the relevance how, is. How to, does to an artichoke fight? Like ore diggers. I can get it. If you've ever yeah, been sure. to Golden, Colorado before, it's like, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah okay. I can see why mind. someone would say, yeah, I can see why someone would say ore diggers fits here. But yeah, man, the fighting artichokes, I just, I don't understand that from Scottsdale Community College. Listen, don't get me wrong. I think it's awesome. I just, I need to know the backstory here. If there's a backstory, I need to hear it. Well, regardless, congratulations to Brandon Moore. Uh, he's, he's a really, really good head coach. Again, played in a national championship game last year down there in McKinney, Texas. So, uh, best of luck to him as he moves forward. Grill boy on the text line says how many late recruiting losses has USC suffered in the trenches though? Florida's OG multiple offensive linemen. So if OU had to pick a school to chase for a trench dude, it's Lincoln Riley and co, especially once he sees the strength and conditioning plans like white did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, old Mule Shoe. He's got one defensive player on the roster right now, upwards of 295 pounds. I, I wonder how he's going to cut all that weight off of Bear Alexander when he gets to town, if he gets to town, assuming he gets to town. But the offensive line, man, that's – I feel like that's almost an understated aspect of Mule Shoe's squad out there at USC that certainly has some holes. Right, Caleb Williams, 
I, I feel like Caleb Williams' brilliance somewhat obfuscates slash overshadows the issues that USC has up front on the offensive line. Because quite honestly, when you have a quarterback that's that talented and that elusive, that evasive, you don't need to have five pillars on your offensive line. You can afford to have a breakdown every now and again when you've got a guy in Caleb Williams that can do the kind of stuff that he does when he gets outside of the pocket. But as I look ahead, and this is part of the reason why I really don't think he's sticking around beyond this year at USC, Tyler, because Malachi Nelson is not Caleb Williams. Nobody is Caleb Williams, but least least of all Malachi Nelson. Malachi Nelson is very much a pro-style quarterback. And so you bring that dude in, and you still have the shaky picture that you have right now along the offensive line at USC, are you really all that confident that your offense is going to function on the level that it is slash has with Caleb Williams calling the shots? I am not confident therein, Tyler. All, hey, same. All good points. But let's get back to something that's important. It gets better with Scottsdale Community College. They're not just the artichoke uh, artichokes via the text line. Uh, they have a mascot named Artie the Artichoke. Oh, yes, because Lord. Of course they do. Of course. Artie the Artichoke was adopted as the school's mascot to express a difference of opinion concerning budget priorities. <laughs> no, this is what it says. Artie the Artichoke was adopted as the school's mascot to express a difference of opinion concerning budget priorities. Originally intended to be a source of embarrassment, Artie has been embraced by students, athletes, staff, and the community as a beloved character. Well, what a what a great ending there for Artie. Heartwarming. Uh, out of Scottsdale. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Glad we got to a nice story today. Why didn't I attend Scottsdale Community College? Why couldn't I if be I a had, fighting artichoke, Tyler? If, if I could I do the, it over. Same. Did Nebraska used to be called the Bug Eaters? I mean, before yeah, they were like the 125 years ago. Just like Oklahoma State or Oklahoma A&M used to be called the Aggies. Nebraska used to be called the uh, the Bug Eaters, which uh, Delta State fighting okra mascot was on ESPN, says Wade and OKC. Dallas Bill says the <laughs> the artichokes fight dirty. I don't doubt that. Uh, yeah, thank you to whoever sent that in about Artie the artichoke. That is that is fighting. Uh, that is uh, fascinating. Brian and Tulsa, the fighting avocado sounded too weak, Parker. So there's the uh, I guess there's a reasoning there for that. So we, at least we have our answer as to uh, what's been going on there. Schools need uh, to be more creative with their nicknames. We need less lions and tigers and bears and more artichokes. And is it UC Santa Cruz that's the banana slugs? believe so. Yes, I think that's right. How about we do this? How about we take a break uh, live from the center in Norman? How about we talk to a couple of national champions coming up next, right? Uh, we don't know what it's like to be a national champ. Maybe we'll ask them. Maybe they can tell us because it sounds pretty awesome, i got to say, as OU Women's Gymnastics rolled to another national championship. It was also the most watched women's gymnastic event in ESPN history, which is really cool as well. Uh, we'll talk to a couple of gymnasts coming up next. Keep it locked right here on The Ref for the Homeless Suter fans. It is the rush on the ref 
live from the center today in Norman. The center at Restore is Norman's newest mid-sized training and event center located at 2475 Boardwalk Street right here in Norman. We'll tell you more about the center as the show rolls on, but let's talk to a couple national champs. That's what you want to hear, right? Uh, Bell Johnson, Sheridan Ramsey, two Oklahoma gymnasts who just won a yeah. national championship. So, Bell, tell us a just that unique aspect is not only are you from Oklahoma, you went to high school at Norman North, mm-hmm. and all you had to do to find the best women's college gymnastics program in the country is to go to the other side of town. So, yeah. like, just for you personally, does it make it any more special that, well, you didn't have to travel that far to, to win a national championship uh, in your hometown? Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes it a 100 times more special for me, I think, because I grew up watching the team, and... I think that was a huge privilege getting to grow up watching such an incredible team with such an incredible coaching staff, and I always knew I wanted to go there. And so getting to go there and, you know, compete and win has been like a dream come true. Sheridan, you are more than welcome to correct me on this, okay? <laughs> but as as I watched the meets this year and as the year kind of rolled on, it's, okay, they had a home meet against Utah, and they win that meet. Um, tough, quick turnaround to LSU, and you win that meet. And towards the end of the year, I kept seeing, okay, well, they had a perfect 10 over the weekend. Well, maybe they had two perfect 10s in one meet. And it just really felt like this team was trending from really the early stages of the season to winning that another national championship. Did the team feel it? Because it really felt like you, you guys just didn't peak at the end of the year. Really, from the beginning all the way to the end, you were performing at a pretty top level. Yeah, I feel like from the beginning, we kind of knew that we were um, special. And we were able to take that with us throughout the whole season. And um, like you said. Yeah, actually, will you switch Bell headsets right there? Yeah, we'll, we'll get that. Because I, I think it's interesting because it was just uh, it was just kind of felt like dominance all year long, essentially. Yeah, yeah. so we, um, we kind of picked that up in preseason. We knew we were special, and we kind of took that with us throughout the whole um, season, and we knew that um, – there were different teams, but they didn't look like us, and they um, they had different mentalities, and we had a different mentality, and we just took it all the way to the championship. So. Yeah, you did. You did take yeah. it all the way to the championship, yeah. and I think OU Women's Gymnastics, I think this was true a year ago, but now it's unquestioned Jim U, yeah. which I think is, yeah. is pretty cool. If you'll switch your headset back to yes. Bell, because I'd like to ask Bell about, you know, I just asked about the dominance that we saw all year long, but then you go back to the semifinals. And you qualify for Saturday, but you finish, I think, second behind mm-hmm. Utah, correct? And there were yeah. just a couple of missteps there that you knew you needed to clean up going into Saturday if you're mm-hmm. going to win a championship. In some weird way, did maybe those couple of extra missteps on, I think it was uh, Thursday, make you refocus a little bit for Saturday and to go back and win the championship? What was that like finishing second in the semis and then winning it on Saturday? Um I think it was definitely motivating. Um, obviously, you want the final day, you want to beat semifinal day. You know, you want it to be your better performance. And so I think, honestly, not doing our absolute best at semifinals kind of gave us that little more push that we needed. Um, and I also think, you know, I think Utah had an incredible meet, like the meet yeah. of their life probably. And like semifinals for us, that was not our best, and we knew that. And I kept telling my teammates, I was like, you can beat us once, but you can't beat us twice. Like I just knew there's no way, you know, like we were going to win on um, 
Saturday, like we were going to beat everyone. So I think we use it as motivation. And you want to peak at the right time, like you said. So obviously we would have rathered our second day being the best rather than semifinals. You know, we've talked so much recently about the the mental side of sports. Mm -hmm. And I just think that gymnastics is so interesting because if you're not there mentally and you're not all the way confident, then Mm -hmm. I can't imagine – trying to pull off some of the stunts that you're trying to pull off during a meet in front of thousands of people, ESPN and ABC Mm -hmm. is there. So just, I I would think like the mental side of gymnastics may be more important than the physical side of things, just with the confidence. Yeah, I would say that's very true. Gymnastics, I think a, a lot of people don't realize it's such a mental sport. And like you said, you have to be fully present. Um, if you let your brain get too ahead or wonder at all, I mean, it's so difficult to do. But we train very intentionally. Like the coaches put us in a lot of, you know, pressure situations in practice. Um, and we have a lot of meets to where we're, we're feeling ready. So as long as you can just stay in the moment at nationals, you know, we'll all be good, which we train for. Yeah. So I'll, I want to ask Sheridan a question here, just kind of around the, the expectations of the program. Because Sheridan, like when you arrived, I'm sure the expectation was national championship. Yeah. That's what we do around here. But then being in the middle of it after winning last year, what's that like going into the year where whether you're talking about it or not, I'm sure the expectation was let's go win another national championship with the group that we have coming back. So is it tough dealing with that pressure? What was that like throughout the season? Um, I think at the beginning um, the coaches kind of said, like, not a lot of teams go back to back. And I think that we took that and we were like, what, like, what's it? going back to back we're just gonna go win another championship like and we knew that we had all of the juice I like to say like we had all of the people that we needed to do this again and and although like we only had three newcomers like we still this still was a team that had experience and that could take it all the way so we didn't really think about going back to back necessarily it was just like how can we do what we can to stay at the top like so Two national champs, Bill Johnson and Sheridan Ramsey. Congratulations once again. Thank Just you. go do it again next year. No big deal. <laughs> Let's Just go. do a three-peat. Let's go. Let's three-peat. Go. All right, uh, hour number two of the rush coming up next. Keep it locked, locked on the ref. There you go, J.D. Pakel on three, giving his thoughts about OU this offseason. Mentions P.J. Atabare there. And last hour, we kind of ran down the, the headliner list. We, I mean, we really didn't include everyone, but kind of the headliners on both sides of the ball that you know really had a good spring. How about the newcomers? You mentioned Josiah Wagner. What would you say um, the spring has been so far for that of P.J. Atabare? I, I, I think as far as P.J. is concerned, what everybody needs to understand about the kid is that he's not 100% healthy and hasn't been this spring. He dinged up his toe at the All-American game in Orlando and hasn't 100% recovered from it. And so summer will be an opportunity for him to get completely right physically. But even so, man, even even as he hasn't been at 100%, what I've seen of PJ, what I've heard of PJ, has been really, really, really impressive. And I think when you see the way that he moves in comparison to everybody else in that Oklahoma edge room, as well as he can bend as flexible and as long as he is, despite being six foot four and 240 pounds, he's just a unique football player. And I think that unique nature that he brings to the table 
is what's going to enable him to see situational snaps as a true freshman. You talk about the unique physical makeup, but what's also innate when it comes to P.J. Atabare is his ability to get after the quarterback. He's incredibly strong for being as wiry as he is. Uh, that and we, we were talking about the frame relative to the weight, and he's very dexterous for somebody that's only played the position for two years. So incredibly high ceiling. I don't think that surprises anybody to hear me say that, but as far as what he's been able to accomplish this spring, I think it's just really cemented the fact that once you get a fully healthy P.J. Atabari, which presumably will be in August, it's a guy that's only going to push all the harder for playing time amidst a crowded edge group. Yeah, um, somewhat similar to Jackson Arnold, though Jackson Arnold's not as beat up as, uh, or not beat up like P.J. Atabare right now. Sounds like what people have seen throughout spring with Jackson Arnold is, yeah, I mean, we thought as a five-star coming in that he would have some real natural talents, just throwing the football, just kind of the way that he moved, just kind of everything that, you know, is about him as a quarterback. It, it, it doesn't seem like Jackson Arnold – um, has you know disappointed anyone so far in what he's shown through spring ball. Again, always have to say it, doesn't mean that he's going to be the starting quarterback to start the year. I don't think that's the case, but it feels like everyone that's seen him this spring has said, yeah, that's, that's what I expected to see from Jackson Arnold, some real natural talent with him as it, a thrower. Uh, yeah, he's that dude. He is that dude, and his time is coming quickly. Now, I know some have suggested via social media and elsewhere that maybe there's a quarterback competition in Norman, and I think that's pretty overstated because from everything I've heard about Dylan Gabriel, it's that he's still the steady hand on the tiller. He's still as cool a customer as he always has been, but even he has taken a jump in the offseason, and he looks better than he did a year ago at this time. He looks more comfortable in the system and more comfortable in his own skin as a quarterback. So, I do not foresee anybody but Dylan Gabriel starting to open the 2023 season at Oklahoma. I think you look towards 2024 regarding Jackson Arnold, but when his time comes, man, this is a dude that's going to do some special things in an Oklahoma uniform. Count on that. Your other five-star, Peyton Bowen, um, had to deal with a very unfortunate situation a few weeks ago after the passing of his sister, uh, but he's been back for the past couple of weeks, and by all accounts, he looks like a guy that can really push for that other starting safety spot. So I, I, I know that five-star recruiting over the past decade hasn't always gone the way that OU fans would, would want it to, you know? Um, but at least up to this point, very early in their careers, your three five-stars that you brought in, P.J. looks the part, Jackson Arnold looks the part, and it sounds like Peyton Bowen looks the part as well in the back end of the defense. Yeah, you know what's interesting is we got the, opportuni uh, the opportunity excuse me, to talk to Jay Nunez, Oklahoma's special teams coordinator, who serves in an off-field role with the coaching staff but is very involved with kick return, with punt return, with specialists, specialists all the units that comprise special teams as a conglomerate. And one of the things that he freely acknowledged was Peyton Bowen's going to be in the mix for return action, which – Again, if you've been listening to this program and you've been following the narrative surrounding Peyton Bowen ever since he signed with Oklahoma in December, that shouldn't come as any particular shock, but it provides a lot of validation to hear that from a guy that is as involved 
in the coordination of the special teams units as Jay Nunez kind of confirms what we all figured with regard to Peyton Bowen, which is this is a guy that's going to see the field a lot as a true freshman in a multifaceted role, and maybe he doesn't do a whole lot of one thing, but he's a guy that can do a little bit of everything. And I think anyone that watched um, Peyton Bowen a lot last year, you were impressed with what he could do on the defensive side. But as a returner, man, I think you were equally as impressed. And that's kind of the exciting element of I, – I think Arnold and Bowen both have, you know, unique elements in that, you know, Arnold is a passer first. Like, that's that's what he is. I think that's what he's best at as a quarterback, which is a good thing. But I think he has a skill set with his legs that maybe people don't talk about enough. So that's an added dimension for him. And I think Bowen, like his main skill set is obviously as a defensive back, but he's got abilities as returner as well. So there, there's a little bit more than meets the eye when we're talking about those two five stars from, from uh, Denton Geyer, which is kind of exciting to think about. Yeah, Peyton Bowen, I can't remember which game it was. It might have been the Allen game, honestly. But there was this one moment, this one play that he had as a punt return, this one return that he had last season and I was there at the Denton ISD stadium watching this game and it remains one of the most brilliant plays I've ever seen at the high school level by any individual and it was kind of a moment at which everybody turned to one another and said yep that that's a five star right there that's that's the dude that we are sold on Peyton Bowen being at the next level so man this recruiting class as a whole, even when you look beyond the five stars, heck, we, we've we talked often about Josiah Wagner, as much buzz as he has generated. Samuel Masigo and Lewis Carter aren't even here yet. Jaquay's Petaway's not even here yet. But I think you already get the sense that the type and the caliber of athlete that Brent Venables and their staff has made a habit of recruiting in their first full cycle at Oklahoma is just different than the type of athletes we've been used to, especially on the defensive side of the ball the last few years at Oklahoma. And you know those athletes are going to be developed, Tyler. And yeah. that also helps distinguish between the new regime and the old. Uh, from the 832 on the text line, I keep hearing more and more about Jackson Arnold and how great he's been. Even Teddy has been saying he could see him being the starter at some point this year. I have to be honest, Gabriel's a good quarterback, and I hope he does well because I don't want another embarrassing fan base booing our quarterback who's doing well just to get some hyped-up freshman on the field. If Arnold is better, then just start him from the get-go. Five exclamation marks. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that we're going to see that situation this year, and I've referenced the schedule and the you know very favorable start to the season that you get here, so I don't think people are going to be booing Dylan Gabriel at any point this year. Also, I think the team's going to win a lot more games this year, which is going to help. But that doesn't mean that Jackson Arnold isn't the main draw on Saturday. Like, And I asked this on our Twitter page as well, at KREF Sports. I'll read some responses. But like when we're talking about the main draws for the average fan this weekend, Jackson Arnold is certainly like atop the list, like in the top three or five. Might he be the biggest draw of all for OU fans this weekend, even including like the Kyla Murray statue? Yes, I would say so. And I, it, it'd be interesting to pull everybody on that. Like, why is the primary, what is the primary reason you're showing up to Oklahoma's spring game? And I think plenty would tell you 
man, it's because I want to see Jackson Arnold. I'm excited to see what the quarterback of the future at the University of Oklahoma looks like with my own two eyes. And there are plenty of Sooner fans, I'd imagine, that got the opportunity to watch him, especially Sooner fans that live down in Texas. Uh, throughout the course of his senior season this last year at Denton Geyer. But to see him wearing the crimson and cream, to see the way that he spins the ball, there hasn't been a quarterback recruit for you to get this excited about since Caleb Williams a couple years back at Oklahoma. But I would say even so, the excitement surrounding Caleb Williams leading into the spring game was somewhat diminished because, well, everybody kind of conceded that the job was Spencer Rattler's, and there was a ton of excitement surrounding Rattler after the season that he had had in 2020. So I don't think people were drooling over Caleb Williams two seasons ago that they the way that they are about Jackson Arnold heading into this 2023 campaign. I think it's been more than a few years since Oklahoma had a quarterback on the roster that so many people were this hyped about. Uh, Jim in Arlington says, since Jackson Arnold won't start, will he use his four games and redshirt, or will he be used more than four times this year? See, I, I mean, this is just a guess by me, but I, I don't think that – I mean, seeing as the SEC is coming up next year, I don't think that you should shy away from getting Jackson Arnold as much game experience as possible. And if that means getting him in in six games, well, that's a good thing because you're winning big in six games and you have a chance. But I don't know, like maybe there's an opportunity where he gets in in, you know, as a change of pace type of situation. I don't know. I, I, I would guess that Jackson Arnold, to answer your question, Jim, this is just a guess for me, I'm going to guess that he plays in more than four games this year. My opinion, and I've stated this before, the, the way I look at things is if you can redshirt a guy, you do it. If you don't need to use him for more than four games, well, five counting the bowl, then sure, slap the redshirt on him because you just never know what the future holds, right? You just never know who's going to have a career arc like that of Caleb Kelly or Rodney Anderson where they suffer one catastrophic injury after another and – they're going to need every last bit of their eligibility in order to improve their NFL draft stock and put themselves on the radar for professional scouts. But that said, nobody is really planning on Jackson Arnold being at the University of Oklahoma longer than three seasons. So, again, I go back to it. If they need him and they can use him in more than four games, right? If you win – five or six games by 30, 35 points, and Jackson Arnold can take snaps in the fourth quarter of every one of those games and you trust him to do so, then, yeah, burn the red shirt. But if Dylan Gabriel has things cooking, man, and you're winning games by a comfortable margin and you don't have any real reason to sit Gabriel down or you don't have any real reason to throw Jackson Arnold on the field as opposed to General Booty or even Davis Bevel, then, to me... Yeah, just uh -oh. just just let him redshirt, you know. Uh, here's the answer that you weren't expecting today from the 405 on the text line. 100%. I'm going to the spring game to see Jacob Lacey and Jonah Laulu at defensive tackle. Those cats need to be good for us to be considerably better this year on defense. I, I bet you didn't think that you'd hear about two defensive tackles being the main draw for someone this weekend, huh? Oh, who was it? Was it Rondell Bothroy that we were talking to? Uh. No, it was Devon Sears. It was Devon Sears earlier this week that was asked about Jonah Laulu and his transition from 
defensive end to defensive tackle. And he said, man, that dude's picked it up fast. And he looks really, really good at that position. And I think it was evident to a lot of OU fans last year just watching Laulu that, okay, he's got too big a body to not move inside. And now that he's bulked up to the neighborhood of 290 pounds, he's a guy that offers a ton of athleticism and speed at that position that you don't have. You don't have that type of athleticism and speed across the board in that position group. And so – Jonah Laulu is going to have the chance, I think, to explode productively for Oklahoma in 2023. The only question becomes, is he nasty? Because yeah. you got to be at defensive tackle to be successful. Uh, what's your number one draw for the spring game on Saturday? 405-651-3439. Let me read a few from, the, uh, from our Twitter page here. Aaron says, seeing K1, the greatest Sooner athlete ever. Uh, Shane says, yelling as loud as I can for Kyler. And finding solace in a guaranteed win. Uh, let's see. MCB says, I just want to see something different. Skeeter says K1. Poor Leo says K1. Billy Sims Afro says Jackson Arnold. Uh, and we have a few other. Eddie Long says seeing Jackson Arnold as well. So the main draws via the Twitter page are Kyla Murray and Jackson Arnold. So that's that. that's. That's, and that's probably where I'm at as well on Saturday, if I'm being honest here. Uh, but we'll get to more of your texts coming up next. whole lot of football to get to, 405-651-3439. I'm at the center right here in Norman. The center is a 2,000-square-foot space with a modern, cozy vibe. It offers comfortable seating in the lounge area, kitchenette with refrigerator, coffee makers, and other general kitchen items. Perfect for hosting luncheons and dinner. The center-restore.com. Go to the center-restore.com. They've got a pretty awesome KREF rental uh, special going on right now. So if you go to the center-restore.com, you can get a 50% discount on up to a six-hour rental. Do it now between uh, now and 6 p.m., and you can take advantage of that awesome deal. All right, more coming up next, more college football. Keep it locked on the ref. It's the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, text line 405-651-3439. Texter in the 918 says, I'm excited to see Ted Roof and the three-man front. Nice. Uh, Curtis B. says, Tyler and Parker, uh, my dad and I are coming to the spring game. We were going to, but our uh, small town lost a great man. But we wanted to look at Jackson Arnold and PJ Atabare in person. So, yeah. Curtis B. going to be watching it on ESPN Plus with some others. This texture in the 307 says, forecast for the weekend, fly fishing, bourbon, and listening to Toby. Where's that? I might spend $15 for that. Where's that going to be? That's going to be amazing. Yeah, no yeah, joke. Jackson- I might I might no-show to the spring game if that's Jeez, on the table. That sounds sweet. Jackson Arnold, Kyler Murray, like Gunny saying, well, how about just another opportunity to be in the stadium? Yeah, so I, I, I think, like, if, if you want to, like, lump all the newcomers in, like, Jackson Arnold by himself, Kyler Murray to see him, and then the rest of the newcomers, which includes the true freshmen and the portal guys. Those are probably the three uh, main draws, I would think, Saturday for the spring game. Yeah, no question. And I, I would hope, Tyler, and I wouldn't expect that you get 72,000 fans like you did a year ago, but – I would say reasonably you can expect fifty-five to 60,000 to show up at Owen Field, and I think that's fine. I think that there's been a lot less emphasis placed on attendance at the spring game. 
this time around just because Brent Venables and this staff are focused on business, focused on put focused on putting a product out that fans are going to be excited to show up in the fall for, not just show up in the spring for. And nonetheless, I do expect we'll have a pretty strong turnout tomorrow. Have we looked at the forecast? What what's in the yes. we- what's in the weather forecast? Because I heard so earlier in the week yesterday- it was supposed to be cold and rainy. Yeah, yesterday was the high of 63. I looked before the show today. I, I need to look again. Um, but before the show, it said a high of 59. Oh, 17 no. mile per hour winds. So not the greatest day, but that's it's it's okay enough to to hang out for an hour and a half or two hours. That's that's okay. Maybe maybe it'll get up to 60s by the time 2:30 rolls around. Hopefully that's the case. Gunner from Grove says biggest draw for the spring game hot dog eating contest does anyone know if they're doing that like before the game during the game like halftime but yeah there, there is a hot dog eating contest that takes place i think it's before but i gotta say i would love to see that live or maybe not maybe it'd be totally disgusting are you gonna participate no dude are you a no. hot dog guy yeah but i like being a hot dog guy i don't, <laughs> you don't not want to hot dogs hot ruined dog for guy. you yeah yeah i mean I like hot dogs are like they're they're good you know they they are what they are like I I like having a hot dog off the grill just as much as the next guy but you enter a hot dog eating contest and buddy like you're always picking the burger at the cookout from now on after that That's, hot dogs yeah, okay. are never going to be an option yeah. I hear you fair point okay 85 percent of our problems last year were on defense I'm going to see what improvements have been made there. Is that true? 85% of OU's problems were on defense last year? Because I remember yes. a good amount of issues on the offense, too. There were a good amount of issues, but I, I, I would say it's probably a 75-25 split. I don't know if I would go 85 defense, but a lot of Oklahoma's problems were concentrated on the defensive side of the ball. I think that texture is correct to an extent. Uh, 580, I'm excited to see Kobe, Pearson, and Bowen, big hitters in all three, could be game changers this season. I am. Uh, I've already got my hopes up that the play of the day, the big hit of the day, is going to be from Kobe McKenzie, because it sounds like every scrimmage that they have, he's ragdolling someone out there or just running right through them. So, um, I've got I've got pretty high expectations for Kobe. Man, it sound, Parker. It sounds like um, from when he showed up on campus to now, and not that he's perfect. He's not perfect. He's got a ways to go. But just in terms of like physically and. How he's playing downhill, it, it sounded like Kobe McKenzie needed to make some big strides when he first got here, and it kind of feels like he's really done that up to this point. Yeah, just in talking to people that have seen a lot more of Kobe this spring than I have, the unanimous word is that this is a different ball player than the one that showed up last spring as an early enrollee. The Kobe that showed up to campus last January was not ready to play. And I think that's why Brent Venables said very early on in the process about Kobe, right? He and Kip Lewis are going to redshirt. They're not going to play more than four games this fall. Our plan is to redshirt them. Well, the Kobe McKenzie that showed up for winter workouts this January and that showed up for spring ball this March, that's a dude that has taken major, major strides. And I do expect him to be a key cog in the rotation for Oklahoma, which, to be honest, just based on some of the stuff I'd heard about him throughout uh, the preseason process last year and I, what we didn't see of him on the football field last fall, I didn't necessarily go into the spring with the expectation that Kobe McKenzie was going to pop off the way that he has or that I'd be touting him as a regular in the rotation at linebacker this fall, but that appears to be where things are headed. So, yeah. 
they need some they they need better play uh, on the defensive line, especially in the interior. It, it, but it feels like, it, and there's a couple ifs in here. Like it's not a guarantee by any stretch. But the way that it's shaping up, Parker, is if Stutzman takes that next step this year, if McKenzie or Canick show up and play really well this year, if not this year, then maybe next year, you could have your best duo at linebacker that you've had in a while. Because you really haven't had a good duo at linebacker in a while, but OU's in better shape now to have that than they've been in probably like a while, maybe like 10 years. Yeah, and I think what gets you excited – Right, is that just in general, you haven't had a true thumper like a Kobe McKenzie or a Phil Pachotti, not at least not a productive one, in more than a minute. And I don't think you've had the speed that you have at the linebacker position. Well, Brian Asamoah was pretty fast. I'll give him that. I don't want to completely overlook Brian Asamoah. But with the exception of Kenneth Murray and Brian Asamoah, I just don't know that you've had as much athleticism at that position in recent years as you do now with Jaron Kanick and Desan McCullough and even Justin Harrington, who is going to push for playing time at that sheet of position and that works with the linebackers in practice. Uh, one more text. We'll move on here. I like this one, though. Everyone just bring a jacket. I think we can handle a little bit of cool weather to support our team. It'll be 100 degrees soon enough. God, is that not the truth? I'll be begging for Saturday's weather when game one rolls around in September. I, j- I just hope it's not – I hope it doesn't feel like the UTEP game last year. I don't know what it is about OU-UTEP games in Norman, but I swear the average temperature for those games is somewhere around 135 degrees. So for that reason alone, Parker – I don't think OU should ever schedule UTEP again for a home game. UTEP it feels brings like it's that the hottest days of my life. UTEP brings that West Texas weather to Norman with them. Dude, God, it's unbelievable every time UTEP comes here. And I tell of course you, it's 11 a.m. or 2.30 seemingly every time. I tell you what, like. Sugar Shane in Newcastle has a prediction on the text line. Uh-oh. He says, Kobe is going to jump Canick in the lineup. Mark my word. Um, is that before the year, Sugar Shane, or are you just saying at some point this season? Because I, I, I don't I don't think it'll be like Teddy has said that there have been times this spring where Kobe's looked like your best backer. Not consistently, but there's been times where that's happened. So I absolutely would have projected Canick as the starter before the spring started and maybe I would now, but that's not the hottest take ever, Sugar Shane. That that could definitely happen. What's what? What is that on the uh, hot take scale? On a scale of one to ten, ten being the hottest. It's and warm. Kobe's gonna start. I would say it's warm. But here, here's why. Here's why I think there's truth in that, but that it's not necessarily the gospel truth. Is because I think the starter labels are going to be. Uh, it's going to amount to bells and whistles for a lot of position across this defense because you're going to see a ton of guys get snaps on the defensive line. I think. You're going to see a bunch of different guys get snaps at linebacker. And if the secondary is what we expect it to be, you'll see plenty of rotation there as well. And I think there are spots, linebacker being one of them, where you will see a lot more regular contributors than you have starting positions. Obviously, Billy Bowman is the clear starter at safety, for instance. And obviously, I'm trying to think of another good example across this roster, Woody Washington at cornerback. Obviously, those two, Billy and Woody, are going to play a ton of snaps. But outside of those two, I don't necessarily look at another position on this defense and go, yeah, that's the guy that's going to take 
80% of the snaps at that position. Even Danny Stutzman at linebacker, right? You'd like to see him rotating off the field a little bit more than he was last season. Not because you don't want Danny Stutzman out there as much as possible, but at such a physically demanding position, you need to have guys that can rotate in and out and keep each other fresh. Uh, let's roll down this list here and see if uh, anything really surprises us. Uh, 24-7 had their SEC football predictions for this year, and I'm going with the SEC because 24-7 did the SEC, they did the Big Ten, and maybe even the ACC, and I haven't seen any Big 12 uh, projections at all for final record. I, I just kind of highlighted the notables here. Missouri at 6-6. Six and six. Um, Okay, like not surprising. I think they're more closer to five wins. Um, South Carolina seven and five. Stop me when you when you hear one that's like, whoa, that's a hot take. South Carolina at seven and five. Arkansas at seven and five. Florida at five and seven in Billy Napier's second year. Wow. A and M at nine and three. Tennessee at nine and three. LSU at ten and two. Alabama at eleven and one. Georgia undefeated twelve and zero. Anything sound like a way too hot take there in the SEC, other than A and M winning nine games this year? Uh, yeah, with with that notable exception, Tyler, I don't have major issue with anything else. But I, it it almost feels like the A and M preseason projections have become a poor man's version of the Texas preseason projections. Really it's like why why are we blowing things out of proportion here as much so as we are when we continually see this team underperform? But it just doesn't make sense. They have all this talent. At some point, this talent is going to break through, and a and going to have a really good year. Guys, that's been the case for like 80 years. Same thing for Texas. At least Texas has won a national championship since 1939, unlike Texas A&M. But it's the same trap every year. I am, uh, once again, not high on A&M's offense. I think A&M's defense got a chance to be pretty good. But nine wins for A&M, no chance for me, man, because I'm just – I'm just not super high on their offense, and it was not a good offense a year ago. Um, maybe they're a little bit better, but sounds like the, they even have a quarterback battle down there uh, with Max Johnson and Connor Wegman. And I feel like by now that, I mean, Max Johnson probably shouldn't be like locked into quarterback battle. I, I feel like your uh, second-year former five-star should be taking over that position at this point. That's just me. I was operating under the – impression that it was certainly without question going to be Connor Wegman's job at Texas A&M but man I just I have major question marks about that Texas A&M roster and I think that just goes to show and I don't necessarily I'm not calling Connor Wegman a headache by any means but that just goes to show you that the most talented player on the roster isn't always the guy that's going to get the starting spot because I think what A&M has made a habit of doing is recruiting some really, really talented football players that don't want to buy into the culture. And I think those guys have the potential to become problem children at a place like A&M where there isn't a good culture as there is, Tyler. It's true. Uh, 405-651-3439. Keep it coming on the text line. I'm at the center today in Norman. Uh, 405-310-1575. A little bit about the center. They offer high-quality presentation equipment with an 85-inch display screen, a local computer for plug-and-play, high-speed Wi-Fi, hand and ceiling mics. There's also two remote-controlled cameras for live stream or recording and two-way interaction between live and virtual participants. So this space is awesome. 
uh, and you should go check it out online. Their uh, their website is thecenter-restore.com. That's thecenter-restore.com. More college football coming up next, and hey, more good news for OU basketball as well. We'll tell you what's new on that front. Keep it locked on the ref. It's the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. Good news today for OU basketball. Second consecutive day. Yesterday they got JV and McCollum. Or maybe that was two days ago. Regardless, it's been a good week for OU hoops. They get JV and McCollum via the portal from Siena. And then today they get a big man. A much-needed big man. They got some front court help. They took a player away from Jeff Capel at Pitt. How about that? John Hugley, Pitt transfer, uh, was a four-star coming out of high school, top 100 player. And he's a guy that only played in eight games last year, had a, had an injury. But the year before, I think he was a Pitt's leading scorer. So he's a, he's a bigger body that you needed down low, a big man that can score all in all. Um, you've gotten two additions this week, Parker, and they're two very different additions, but two very good additions at that. So it's, this has been the most positive week for OU basketball since – they beat Alabama, probably. Yeah, probably so, Tyler. And about as good an addition as you could ask for at this point in the portal process for Porter Moser in this OU basketball program because they needed help inside. They needed help badly. They needed a guy that was not just a scoring threat but a capable rebounder as well, and that is what John Hugley brings to the table for the Sooners. Now, uh, I believe he'll have two years of eligibility, if I'm not mistaken, so – a guy that certainly can help right off the bat and that if things click for Porter and this team in the 23-24 season, maybe you got something to serve as a springboard once you make the transition to the SEC and Hugley can still be around to kind of aid in the transition process there. But, yeah, I'm really pleased with the pickup of John Hugley for Oklahoma basketball, Tyler. I think it's as close to best-case scenario as you could have at this point. Yeah, and this is going to almost always be the case, I guess, via the portal, but you're getting a couple of guys that that have some experience at this level. Not necessarily experience in this conference, but the Big 12 is, it just feels like it's one of the older leagues in all of college basketball. At least it was last year with, you know, so many players having that COVID year. Ensure you have young talent. You had a, co- a few really talented freshmen last year. But it's an older league, and you're going to need some players with some experience. So I don't, I'm not ready to predict OU to make the NCAA tournament just yet, but they are, um, things started slow in the portal, and the panic really started, but this has been, this has been a good week so far. But they, they need a few more to add. There's, there's no doubt about it, but that's, that's, that's a very, very good start. Uh, text line says, Canik is so versatile with that speed and strength, that once he completely gets the defense learned, he'll be able to play every linebacker spot, whereas McKenzie is more just like a true Mike backer. Not worried at all about Canick. Yeah, and there's there's no reason to be worried about Jaron Canick. No, there's that is, zero. He's a freakish athlete, and regardless of how long it takes him to settle in at Oklahoma, you know that once Brent Venables feels confident and comfortable turning that guy loose, whether it's at Cheetah or inside backer or what have you, he's going to eat. And you've seen it in spurts. You saw it up in Lincoln in that Nebraska game after Deshaun White's ejection. Jaron Kanick can go. He's got a nose for the football. And so regardless of where he's lining up this fall and beyond, 
I expect he's going to be a very impactful player on Oklahoma's defense. Uh, from the 918, it says, Aggie grad here. I would argue we do actually have more talent on this team than ever before, but we will still figure out a way to squander it. We haven't ever won anything and likely won't ever. We want to be good so bad. You guys make fun of us every day, which sucks for me, uh, but I can rarely say you are wrong. <laughs> if we ever do win, Teddy and Tyler are wearing Milkman suit to do the show. Oh, you're making, making us dress like yell leaders? Do I have to say the weird and awkward things that the yell leaders say? Yes, you on do. Friday night before the game. Yes, I don't you know do. If In I the weird and awkward level. voice. Oh no, the bad trash talk that they have. Well, there's at least one A and M fan, Parker, that's like, "Yeah, we got talent, but whatever. It's not going to matter." I-, I wonder if that represents the entirety of the A and M fan base at this point. Okay, here's a text. Here's a text uh, from the nine one eight Tyler. If big guy from Pittsburgh is physical, we're good. Remember our recent pit transfer DB he didn't produce, and he was supposed to be de- decent. I thought for a second that that was in reference to a defensive back. I was like, what defensive back transfer has Oklahoma gotten from Pittsburgh? And then I realized, oh, he's talking about Davis Bevel. Okay, that oh, makes a yeah. lot more sense now. <laughs> Some say he would have been better off if he was a defensive back. But, yes, Davis Bevel. Yeah, I'm not ready to have the take just yet that John Hugley – is uh, going to disappoint because Davis Bevel disappointed. But that'd be one heck of a take, though. <laughs> that'd be the hottest take of the day. Yes, Davis Bevel is not good. Therefore, how good can John Hugley be? Great text, David, from Norman. I did say that OU took uh, Hugley away from Capel. He says, no, we didn't take Hugley from Capel or Pitt. We took him from the transfer portal. Nice. The very mule nice. shoe rhetoric. Yes. I love that so much. That's that's very, very well done. Uh, 580, who does Georgia have a quarterback to lead them undefeated? Well, they still got Brock Vandegrift. He's not going anywhere, Tyler. As of right now, they do. <laughs> Georgia's got a schedule that's going to lead them to be undefeated, most likely, unless they lose at Tennessee. Outside that, doesn't look like Florida's going to be that good. Uh, South Carolina's got a chance to be okay, but I don't know if they're ready to beat Georgia just yet. Kentucky, I don't. That's not a good matchup for Kentucky, to be honest. So it's like the most. The biggest reason why people are picking Georgia to win the title is because of their schedule, and obviously they're really good. But sure, they have quarterback questions. They do, but I. Well, I shouldn't say but. I I do want to say that, and this is maybe just my personal opinion of Stetson Bennett. I do think Georgia's going to miss Stetson Bennett a lot more than anybody in the Georgia contingent realizes because I I think the world of Stetson Bennett and I really think he was the straw that stirred the drink for those two Georgia championship teams the question is how much are you going to miss Stetson Bennett how much realistically can you miss Stetson Bennett looking at that schedule because Georgia should walk all over that schedule yeah they should uh Steve Wiltfong just said on their live channel that Tennessee is the team to beat for Williams Winery, thoughts on this? That's a five-star defensive lineman. For those of you that don't know, I respectfully disagree with Steve on that. Doesn't Will Fong have in a crystal ball for Winery to OU? No, he doesn't. Is he he doesn't. Okay, he doesn't. He, he does not have that, one in at all. Now, Steve, I guess, did say on the live stream that he's not confident enough to put in a crystal ball yet. Here's what I will say, and I think we talked about this earlier in the day, Tyler. Somebody asked, "What school do you think poses the biggest threat to Oklahoma for Will Winery?" And I said Tennessee. Look, if there's a school to be worried about, it's probably Tennessee. But 
I was just up in Kansas City this last weekend, spent some time around Nuaneri and around several in the LSN uh, crowd that know him, know his recruitment, kind of have an inside glimpse at everything that he's going through as he tries to narrow things down to a decision here. And I still remain confident that Oklahoma has the edge, and I don't think they lead by a mile, nor have I ever portrayed it as such. But I would take Oklahoma over Tennessee right now. I think Oklahoma has the edge because of all the familiarity that OU has working in their favor. I'd peg Tennessee as number two right now, but I do think Oklahoma has the inside track as things stand. Uh, Totally unrelated, but before we hit a break, uh, give me a letter grade on Bob Stoops' rebuttal when he hears from Texas fans. Bob told us on Tuesday that he was at the state capitol in Austin, uh, kind of representing the XFL and, you know, some. <laughs> he, was, he was in Austin and he, you know, doesn't go to Austin all that much. Um, he said down there that when Texas fans give them a, or give him a hook em, when Texas fans yell hook em at Bob Stoops, he usually responds, yeah, we usually do. What letter grade would you give Bob Stoops' rebuttal on that? Oh, my goodness. That's gold. That's an A+. Plus, yeah, without that, question. You can't, can't really say anything back to that. I mean, the man did put up uh, 60-plus points uh, more than once on Texas. Bob with the clap days. back, man. I love it. <laughs> Pretty awesome. All right, we'll close up hour number two of The Rush. Coming up next, live from the center in Norman, 405 310 1575 or the center More to come next. The Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you the sour of the rush. Las Vegas sooner. Flight delayed until midnight in Chicago's South Side slash Midway. But at least I have the app to keep me entertained. Totally messed up my weekend plans to get back home to OU. Dang, sorry about that, man. <sighs> he was going to come out from Vegas, out from the desert, to the uh, spring game this weekend. He's not going to be able to. That, uh, that is unfortunate. Hey, but at least you got a Major League Baseball team coming out to the desert soon. Do you see that? The Oakland A's coming out to Vegas. They're about to build a uh, $1.5 billion stadium out there. It wasn't long ago where Vegas, there wasn't a whole lot going on in town outside of the uh, Las Vegas 51s, the uh, AAA team. Now they've got an NHL team, an NFL team, and they're about to have a Major League Baseball team too. Wow. So many professional sports teams that I will never go and watch. (laughs) I can't stand Vegas. I would go watch the Knights. I would go watch the Knights, but, yeah, I'm not hustling out there to see the A's or the Raiders. But if OU wants to schedule a game in Vegas, uh, let's go. Yeah, no, no, no. No, I'm out on that. Las Vegas Sooner and I have this persistent disagreement on the text line. I I imagine he'll be texting in within minutes here because it happens every single time I talk down about Vegas. I'm just not a fan of the city or the environment. If I never have to go to Vegas again, Tyler, I am perfectly okay with that. Well, I uh, will be perfectly okay if I do get to go back to Vegas again, football game or not. Hopefully that happens. Uh, we, we spent a lot of the show today about kind of recapping the spring, who's looked uh, really good so far. Haven't spent a whole lot on the offensive line. Now, we focus a lot of this conversation on the newcomers, but who are we talking about as O-linemen that have had a really good spring? Are we talking about Tyler Guyton? Are we talking about some of these newcomers? Who's one or two players that have really stepped up this past month? Yeah, heard really good things about Tyler Guyton. Obviously, the attrition at left tackle with Walter Rouse and Jacob Sexton kind of – 
on the shelf. Rouse has been a limited participant, but with those two guys out, Caden Green's gotten a ton of first-team reps at left tackle. He's done well with those. And then Josh Bates, man. Honestly, like didn't expect lot, that Josh Bates would make as much noise as he has early in the process here. But again, it just goes back to the fact that so many of these 2023 early enrollees, Tyler, they've shown up and they've all been ready to go. Josh Bates is going to be a player. I feel uh, very, very comfortable saying that. All right, the center in Norman, 2,000-square-foot space with a modern cozy vibe, comfortable seating in the lounge area, kitchenette with refrigerator, coffee makers, and other general kitchen items, perfect for hosting luncheons and dinners. The center slash restore.com. That's the center slash restore.com. Final hour of the rush is next. Love that. That's the man that was Reggie Bush before Reggie Bush was Reggie Bush. There was Reggie Bush, but before Reggie Bush, there was Joe Washington. You may know him as Little Joe. You know, the guy that wore the uh, the silver shoes, ran all over the place, great running back, one of the best in OU history, great punt returner as well. God, that's – dude, that's really what you want nowadays, a running back like Joe Washington, but also a guy that can be a punt returner like that. Uh, those guys are not a dime a dozen. But that was uh, Joe Washington on the ref earlier today with uh, our own Mike Steely. And Mike asked him uh, what his NIL evaluation would be if uh, it was legal when he played. And he said, well, maybe no one could even afford me. And that's probably the case because Joe Washington, with the personality and the play that he had, uh, yeah, he, he would have uh, gotten a lot of money. That's, that's for sure. Uh, okay, spring game coming up on Saturday. I have not seen an updated score, still 5-2 to two red team, but we do have a little bit more clarity as to what the game format is going to be. It's going to be four 12-minute quarters unless a team reach the tar- reaches the target score in the fourth quarter. Here's how that's going to work. It's a little bit confusing. Let's say the score is uh, the offense is leading 31-30 to 30 at the end of the third quarter. What they'll do is 31 is the highest score. They'll say, okay, first one to play to 42 is the winner. Um, They're going to add 12 points. They're going to add 12 points to the leading team score. If one of the teams reaches that target score before the fourth quarter clock expires, that team wins. If the target score is not reached by either team, the team leading when the clock expires wins. Is that clear enough, Parker, for everyone you think? Or is it still confusing? I mean, it's still quite confusing, Tyler. It makes sense when you see it on paper, but I don't imagine everybody's going to show up to the spring game with like a printed rubric. So I have to imagine a large portion of the audience is going to be looking up at the scoreboard going, wait, wait, what is going on? Yeah, so that, I mean, but hey, if you're the team that's leading at the end of the third quarter, uh, you just have to score 12 points really fast or at least faster than the opponent, essentially, and you're going to be guaranteed to win the game but that's the (laughs) it's the most odd scoring structure i've seen for an ou spring game and that's saying a lot tyler because yeah had some wacky ones yeah it's the most it's one of the most odd scoring systems i've seen period for a spring game and not that i pay attention to everyone's but um i don't know it's 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 interesting but it'll be fine we'll uh we'll still get out of it what we're wanting to get out of it uh doesn't change anything with kyla murray by the way kyla murray's still going to be honored that's going to be a cool moment what would you say is Kyla Murray's single greatest play at OU, or what was it? I think there's probably three in consideration. Maybe you can bring up another that I'm not thinking of. The run against Texas, yep. the long touchdown run, 
Um, the run at West Virginia, I think that was OU's first touchdown that game in Morgantown, or the throw to Calcaterra in the end zone in the Big 12 championship game. It, like, is that the three that we need to choose from? Do any others come to mind, or is that that pretty solid list? Uh, to me, it's the run against Texas, and it's not close. He had so many spectacular plays that season, but that one stands out because of the moment in which it happened. You know, Gus Johnson is on the broadcast talking about how Oklahoma needs to score quick here, and then boom, first play of the drive, there goes Kyler Murray. So that one is always the seminal moment that comes to mind for me when I reflect on Kyler Murray's brief career in crimson and green yeah um i would say that the throw to calcaterra is maybe a distant third just because calcaterra had to make the other half of that great play with the one-handed catch in the corner of the end zone those other two plays kyler did it all himself and if they beat texas it's without question the best play of his career and one of the best plays in like the past 10 years um even though they lost the game i think i would agree with you that it was uh that it was the run against Texas. I'm, I'm curious what the text line is. And that's so. what sucks the most, man. That was such an outstanding football game, such an outstanding comeback engineered by Kyler Murray, and Oklahoma catches fire in the fourth quarter. The defense is getting stops only for it all to come crashing down just in time for Sam Ellinger in Texas to put together a game-winning drive and put Cameron Dicker in Dicker position to make a 40-yard field goal to seal that game. Yeah, I think they had a pass interference call on uh, that final Texas drive that really got them going. Was like, was Trey Norwood face guarding or was Parnell Motley? I can't remember who it was to be honest with you, but it was it was one of those. Yeah, there there are a few memories as indelibly think, seared into my mind from that 2018 season as Trey Norwood and Parnell Motley face guarding every single receiver. <sighs> yeah, Texas threw up a lot of jump balls that day, and it worked out for them. Uh, when Kyler came in for a series for Baker's suspension after Kansas. Yeah, that took him all of about two plays to score when he started that game, right, against KU? Yeah, he bolts for, what was it, 66 yards, something like that on the first play, and then Rodney, Rodney Anderson scores on the very next play. So, yeah, Baker was suspended for all of two plays. Yeah, I, I think Kyler's, yeah, single best play is probably – uh, text line, let us know, 651-3439. Or at least, like, what's the first play you think of when you think of Kyler? Is it that touchdown run uh, against Texas? Let's see. Wasn't that against West Virginia? Well, we mentioned a play against West Virginia. Yeah. Are, are you saying that game was against West Virginia that he started for Baker? I think that actually was. Yeah. Because Baker got um, yes, in trouble it was, it in was the KU game. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it was the West Virginia game. Uh, 3-1-0, was it the Calcaterra catch, the one where the announcer mispronounced his name and said Calcutta? It was Gus Johnson who said Calcutta, and I think that game was on ABC, so it wouldn't have been him. I, I think. I think. I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, 4-0-5, the run against Texas was off the charts fast. Uh, from the 9-1-8, the run at West Virginia. Eric in the OC says, you guys should do a segment where the fans text in their ideas for spring game scoring systems and see what wild answers you get. Yeah, are we, are we ready for that today, for the text line to open up to that? I think most people would just prefer a standard scoring system, but I do believe that uh, several texters such as Gutty would send in some crazy thoughts on how to score this thing on Saturday. Okay, there's another Kyler play that comes to mind for me, Tyler, and this is going to be one that was not that consequential and that a lot of people have probably forgotten about, 
But do you remember the Tulane game in 2017 where Kyler's in the game because Oklahoma's leading by a wide, wide margin in the fourth quarter? And for the life of me, I can't remember whether it was Hollywood Brown or whether it was C.D. Lamb, but one of those two got open on a skinny post deep down the field, and Kyler, I think they were back on their own 11-yard line or something like that. Kyler just winds up and uncorks a dime, drops it right in the bread basket, and it's a walk-in touchdown. Like that, that was the play where I, you know, we hadn't seen a whole lot of Kyler Murray to that point, but yeah. that was the play. That was the moment where I realized, oh boy, like even once Baker Mayfield's time at Oklahoma has come and gone, I don't think this offense is going to take much of a step down. Yeah, well, it, 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 it didn't. And, yeah, that was the season opener, and that was, our, like you said, our first glimpse that, like, ooh, this Kyler, Kyler Murray guy might be pretty good. And he was so good. Like, think about this. I know they have a, had a different skill set, but here's how good Kyler Murray was. And I don't think in any other situation ever that you do something like this. But Kyler was so good and had a unique skill set that it made sense. Think about this, though, Parker. OU had a three-year starter at quarterback in 2017 who would win the Heisman Trophy that year, but at the same <laughs> time, they would put another quarterback in the game when he was still in there. That's how good Kyler was. Well, and Kyler Murray was good enough that you had a Heisman winner in 2017, Tyler, who wasn't the best quarterback on his own roster. <laughs> Some people might try to fight you on that one. And I'm sure they will. Careful. I'm sure they will, but... Baker Mayfield wasn't the best quarterback on Oklahoma's own roster. Now, most beloved, most impactful, uh, certainly of the 21st century, I would say, yes, there are so many superlatives that you can throw out about Baker Mayfield. But in terms of talent on the gridiron, Baker was good. Baker is good. Kyler was better. Kyler is better. Tyler. Uh, Jay in Tulsa said Kyler's bomb off the wrong foot to Charleston Rambo against Bama was a hell of a play as well. <laughs> yeah, that started the Charleston Rambo hype, uh, which did not really uh, take place. The that coming fizzled season. quickly. Yeah, maybe they could blindfold the two quarterbacks, spin them around for four or five times, and give seven points to the first one to run ten yards toward the correct end zone. That would be entertaining. The two quarterbacks, so we're leaving General Booty and Davis Bevel out of this completely. It's just Dylan Gabriel, <laughs> Jackson Arnold. Oh, and hey, takes would be formed that because Jackson Arnold was blindfolded and spun around four or five times and got to the end zone before Dylan Gabriel, that's a reason why he should start. He got year. that dog in him. Yes. You, you, know, you know that take would take place. Uh, Kyler is the most talented person to ever wear the Sooners jersey. Did you just text that in for the 405? Is that your number? That is not my number. I have a 402 number, Tyler. But I I, mm, mm, I don't know if I could go that far. I'm most, not going to go that far. Most talented, I think it could be Joe Washington, who we heard at the top of the hour. I think that'd be a great pick. Most talented quarterback to ever wear the Oklahoma jersey? Yes, I would say that. Uh, Santa John says, I, for one, couldn't care less about the spring game or system they're in. The only place where it might matter is if there's a special reward for the winning team, such as a filet mignon for the winning team and hot dogs for the losing team. But you, uh, come on, Santa John, you don't care about the spring game or you just don't care about the spring game score? Because I think the uh, spring game got a chance to be fun on Saturday just because of all the newcomers, man. Like, Bothroyd and a Ford is available, which, by the way, side note on that, 
I heard what Bothroyd said about Trace Ford earlier this week, and I don't know if it necessarily surprises anyone to hear, like, hey, Trace Ford's playing pretty well so far in spring, or at least when he's available, because he is a proven guy when he's been healthy. Bothroyd was basically saying, like, yeah, we had a practice here recently, and he had, like, four sacks and ten snaps, which, regardless of who you're going up against, was like, dang, okay, like, Trace Ford's really coming on here at the end of spring. And this has been the discourse surrounding Trace Ford, has it not? It's if that guy is what he was before the injuries, if he returns to his prime form, this is a dude that's going to make a huge impact off the edge for Oklahoma. People forget, and it came up on my Twitter feed the other day because it was Trace Ford's birthday. The guy's been around so long. And he's been such a player from the get-go at the collegiate level that he sacked Jalen Hurts back in 2019 as a true Crazy, freshman at Oklahoma man. State. Jeez. How about that, man? If uh, Emory Jones, who played against you in the Cotton Bowl in 2020, is going to start against you for Cincinnati uh, in, like, week four, week five, whenever it is, is it weird enough? Trace Ford sacked Jalen Hurts. That's wild. Yeah, I saw that his mom tweeted out that, that tweeted that out too, which is which is crazy. Um, in in terms of you know who's performed well so far this spring, in terms of position groups, uh, Parker, we talked about it to lead off the show today, but they are banged up, sure. But that's been, if you even want to call it a blessing, it's just given other guys more opportunities, such as the freshmen, such as Tawi Walker, and I think you might come out of spring ball saying. If you're all good with Barnes, and if you're all healthy across the front, like you've got a chance to be maybe even a little bit deeper than what you thought you'd be at running back before the start of the spring. So well, I, I think the running back position's been a positive this spring. Certainly. And to expound a little bit on your point there, Tyler, I think when you look at the freshman class and how many of these guys have shown up and earned rave reviews for their performance throughout spring, I don't think it's a bad thing that guys like – Josiah Wagner and Josh Bates and even somebody like a Caden Green or Eric McCarty, although he's been limited, I don't think it's a bad thing that those guys are getting more opportunities than they otherwise would because of the Sooners being banged up and shallow at certain positions because these are already dudes that we've, we've, we've talked about it, right? The 2023 class is just different. There are so many athletes in this group that have come in and proven from the from the word go that they're cut different than everybody else on Oklahoma's roster. Now, you give guys like that the additional experience of first team reps throughout the spring and on into the fall and you're going to be able to count on at least a handful of these true freshmen to give you snaps in meaningful scenarios in 2023. Yeah. Uh, if Muleshoe had trotted out Kyler and the offense instead of this, uh, instead of his horrendous defense in the college football playoff versus Bama, might have been a different outcome. Could have been much worse, that's for sure. South Dakota on our way to the game, a lot nicer in this state. That's the first time they've ever texted in from the 605 area code. How about that? I believe you have you have roots in South Dakota, so there, there you do. go. I do. I can't tell. A lot nicer in this state. Is that in reference to South Dakota or Oklahoma? I legitimately don't know. Or Nebraska. Uh, Are they driving through Nebraska? I I think they're through Wichita, Kansas right now is probably what they're talking (laughs) about. You'll notice I didn't even bring up Kansas as a possibility because I know it's not. (laughs) 
405-651-3439. I'm at the center today in Norman where they offer high-quality presentation equipment with an 85-inch display screen. They also have a local computer for your plug-and-play, high-speed Wi-Fi, hand-and-ceiling mics. There's also two remote-controlled cameras for live stream or recording and two-way interaction between live and virtual participants. So, hey, you can host an event right here, and you've got about 40 more minutes to do this, but you can get 50% off up to a six-hour rental here at the center. Just go to the center-restore.com. That's the center-restore.com. If you are looking to host an event in here, uh, whether it's a, a wedding shower, really kind of anything that you're looking to host, the center-restore.com, if you do that before 6 p.m., you will get 50% off up to a six-hour rental if you click the KREF Rental Registry. Go do that now. Uh, more college football coming up next. Keep it locked in the ref. You know what the alumni do on Thursday nights before the spring game? Mm-hmm. Who knows? It's like a secret. <laughs> I don't know what they do there. Special guest here, final hour of the rush, Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. We're talking to Kelly Lasher. Uh, she's got a lot of titles, licensed professional counselor, founding partner here at the center, co-CEO, therapist. She kind of does it all. Okay, so Kelly, I've, I've been here all day at the center. The space is is awesome. Um, there's so many things that you can do really for any kind of event. If you would, just tell us exactly what the center is, what you can provide, and what goes into you know any and every event that can be held here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the center, actually, we started it. Uh, Restore Behavioral Health owns this. That's another business that we own. And we started this to be a training facility. Um, and it actually has kind of morphed into a training event and uh, a venue that we've been able to rent out to all kinds of people. Um, we've got some churches that rent it on a regular basis. We've had birthday parties, retirement parties. Um, and of course, uh, we had a week, uh, two-week leadership training with Hitachi out here. They they just rented it and used the space for two weeks, and so it's been pretty cool. Um, there's tables that we can move all around. We can seat up to 50 in this space. Without the tables, probably 70 will fit in here. I think one of the most important parts and something we try to really do different is the technology yeah. that we've added here. Someone can do a live uh, Teams meeting across the country with their business team. Um, we've got mics in the ceiling. It's full interaction. So. And cameras. I was kind of kidding uh, with co-owner Gina Dixon earlier, kind of half kidding, kind of not really. But I said, well, what if someone just wanted to rent this out for an OU road game this year? No kidding. Year? I, I mean, seriously, you, you, th- this is a huge space. I mean, you've got a kitchenette. I'm going to guess you could probably bring your own food if you wanted to. If you had a big birthday party, uh, you've got, an, what is that, an 85-inch yeah. TV yeah. that's there? I'm guessing that someone could do that. Absolutely. I, and, hey, great idea. Thank you. No, Thank it's you. perfect. I mean, yeah, every every home game Saturday, every, every game day, yeah. uh, they come in here, uh, play it live on the, on the big TV speakers, turn it up loud. It'd be great. You could even kind of tailgate in the parking lot. Yeah. Okay. Seriously. You sold me. I'm and not. I, I am not going to the. I'm not going to the stadium for the first game. <laughs> you, you got you, air conditioning. You, 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 so, this is the best tailgating in Norman, right here in the parking yeah, lot. There you so go. that's that's perfect. Yeah, that's a great idea. So th- th- there are plenty of places in Norman and more in the metro area where, okay, if you needed to rent a space or, or have a meeting, then you're able to do that. There's plenty of places. But what I've kind of gathered from you and being here today is what sets your place apart is the technology, the giant TV screens, the the video cameras. Is that fair to say? Is that maybe why you're different than a a hotel meeting space or somewhere else you can find? Yeah, absolutely. So we have camera in the front and the back. So if you're doing a distance kind of training, we can zoom in at any angle. 
Uh, there's, like I said, there's mics in the ceiling, so it picks up the ambient noise in the room, so groups can ask questions. If someone's on remote and they're talking in, the presenter in person can actually hear the people that are on a remote instead of having to process through chats and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, we really try to make that be what stands out. And it's just a comfy, modern space. It really is, yeah. It's comfortable to be in here all day. Yeah. Um, air conditioning's perfect. It just, it just yeah. feels, it feels good in here. Yeah. Um, how do people reserve the space? Um, so online, uh, it's the center hyphen bh or the center at restore.com okay. and they can look at that and there's a actually there's a sheet of pay there's a, a form that they can fill out to reserve or inquire about the space um, and then it goes through to our, our development person here and she'll contact them directly uh, we were offering a special i don't know if, if there's only about 30 minutes left there's only 30 it. minutes left but 50 percent discount up to six hour rental correct yeah, up to six that? hour rental so uh, you know according to the availability but if someone wanted to rent the space for three hours for a party six hours for a work meeting we're offering 50 percent off now until six o'clock just for the kref listeners uh your husband is tim lasher yeah one of if not the greatest kicker in ou history does he have any eligibility left by chance? Is, is Tim still in shape that he can go out there and kick next year if they need it? No, but he's loving golf. He's in golf shape these days. Yeah. No, Tim's great. Yeah, we did a question a, a couple of weeks ago. It was a scenario like um, you need a 43-yard field goal to win yeah. it, which kicker in OU history, and Tim either got the most votes or the second most votes. Yeah, so, we saw that. Yeah. Yeah, clutch. And speaking of, I mean, mental health and mental toughness, I don't I don't know how the kickers do it. You know, I have so much respect for them, for their ability to just zone in and be in the moment with all those people watching. I know. Everything on the line. And people are mean nowadays, too. Yeah, they are. You know, it's probably tougher now than it ever is. Yeah, um, he's great. Last question I have for you. I mean, you really have everything. You have a, a great space. You've got all the technology, an 85-inch television. Really, the last thing is, do you do food catering? Do you do you cater food? Like, because that kind of puts everything together. Yeah, that's a great question. And we actually have some relationships with vendors in the community that we're able to kind of co uh, connect our people with. But we don't right now. Uh, we're looking forward to being able to offer that in the future with somebody, a community partner. But you know, you can bring any kind of food in here, any drinks. There's no restrictions. Um, of course, being wise with alcohol consumption, sure. but there's no restrictions on that either. And um, if you got what you want to bring to your party, you can just bring it right in. Perfect. Kelly Lasher, co-owner here at the center. Thank you so much for Thank having you. us out. Thank you. You've been great. And, we love KRF. And tell Tim that we said hello. And, I will. And, and to find out if he has an extra year of eligibility or not. I'll check on that. <laughs> <laughs> Try to get him away from the golf course. Thank you so much <laughs> Thanks, again. Tyler. There you go. 405-651-3439. Uh, text line wants to know, we mentioned the rumor that has uh, been th uh, going on, on the Internet about Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke to the University of Alabama. Parker, and I, I think that we're in a little bit of an agreement here that this might just be a very smart move by Tyler Van Dyke to say, maybe I'll just throw this rumor out and John Ruiz will float some more money by, my way. Which, you know, it's, it's funny if you think about it, because Miami and John Ruiz spend so much money. What's to stop these kids from Miami, if they're any sort of good at all, for pulling a move like this like Tyler Van Dyke may be doing? Yeah, no joke, man. And... Tyler Van Dyke has a lot of leverage here because Miami doesn't have much else at the quarterback position. Remember, they briefly had Jaden Rashada committed before things hit the fan there. First, he flipped to Florida, and we know what happened after that. But the depth chart beyond Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback down at Miami is not great. So if he's looking for a life wallet payday, man, just get those rumors started. I'm kind of looking at the transfer portal. I want to go play quarterback at Alabama, and oh boy. You can bet Ruiz is going to be on the horn with a nice offer, an offer you can't refuse very quickly.
Yeah, uh, that is a dangerous, dangerous situation for the uh, University of Miami. Game MVP, I am um, game MVP for Saturday, of course, for the spring game. I am just about ready to lock in Tawi Walker. And I, I'm, I'm ready to lock in Tawi Walker because of the spring that he's had. I think that this game kind of, like, maybe he gets the most carries here. And, and I don't know how much Gavin Sawchuk is going to play. I, I, I yeah. definitely think that he is going to play. I just wonder that after Barnes' injury, if they really want to throw him out there for 15 carries. Yeah, if I'm – here, here, here we go. We'll set the over-under, Tyler. You tell me whether you're going to have – you're going to take the over or the under. Over under 6.5 carries for Gavin Sawchuk. I am taking the under. I would take the under on that too, yeah. Yeah, I would take the under on that, especially like four 12-minute quarters. The fourth quarter could la- I mean, may not even go 12 minutes. You know that in the second half they kind of like to take it slow. I- I'd go under six and a half for sure with Sawchuk. You're Anybody see- else want to take the over though? I- I- I'll-, I'll be willing to uh- – if anyone wants to wager, I, we could do that. You're going to see a lot of Caleb Hicks. You'll see a lot of Dalen Smothers. You'll probably see a lot of Tawi Walker, too, and I would imagine you'll see a healthy dose of Chapman McCown. But with Javante Barnes already banged up, there's no real reason to stretch Gavin Sawchuk any longer than you need to. So I would figure he gets a cursory few carries, and then that'll be it for him. Here's the question. I guess, uh, you know, the the highlight of the day or the two quarterbacks – who gets more snaps on Saturday? Dylan Gabriel's going to start, but will he get more snaps slash more series than Jackson Arnold? Yes. Yes, I think Dylan Gabriel plays the most snaps at the quarterback position just because you don't have to worry about a quarterback getting dinged up in the spring game because they got the no-contact jerseys, and it's very much understood that nobody touches a quarterback. So it's not as if you have a substantial injury risk with Dylan Gabriel and he is the expected starter. You do want him to get the first team reps where possible. I do figure you'll see more of Dylan Gabriel than Jackson Arnold on Saturday, but I don't figure you'll see a whole lot of anybody except Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold. Yeah, um, maybe General Booty and Davis Bevel for a series apiece. At tight end? Yeah, Davis Bevel, 87 yards. What if Davis Bevel is the MVP of the spring game at tight end? What kind of odds can I get on that? I'm telling you, watch. Davis Bevel's going to line up at tight end and pull a Jaden Gibson on Dorian Plumlee and just go (laughs) streaking 80 yards Uh, to the house. Arnold hits him wide open down the seam, and he lumbers into the end zone. Nice. Uh, Gavin Sawchuk uh, from the 405. It might be under just because he could take the first two touches to the house. Yep. Well, I mean, if he's the same player that we saw in the bowl game outside of the one fumble that he had, uh, yeah, he, he doesn't have to have very many carries on Saturday to have a big impact in the uh, in the football game, that's for sure. 405-651-3439 is the text line. Uh, more spring game coverage. Again, that's 2.30 ESPN Plus on Saturday. And then we'll be at Yo Pablo from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Campus Corner. We'll also be at Balfour of Norman on Campus Corner from 10 a.m. to noon. And then our post game, we're back at Yo Pablo from 4.30 to 6.30. So if you're heading to Norman, come by and see us at Yo Pablo on Saturday. And Balfour of Norman as well. More college football, more OU on the other side. Keep it locked in the ref. The Riverwind Casino and Hotel, 
bringing you the final hour of the rush. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune is with me today, and apparently the uh, the college uh, football leaders are keeping the bowl games at 41 for the time being because they want the standard of a six and six record to still mean something. I, I guess there was a thought or even a vote of making postseason eligibility a seven and five record, which would dramatically change the outlook of some team's seasons. Uh, but they are going to keep it at six and six is where you got to be to make a bowl game moving forward because they want to keep the bowl lineup at 41. They don't want to add any more bowls. They don't want to take away any more bowls. But they at least thought for a bit that, yeah, let's make seven and five bowl el- eligibility now. Interesting. Be, be a big I, I feel like I would have actually been in favor of that because we. I would much sooner make the argument that we have too many bowl games than that we have too few. Oh, you would have been sitting at home last off season if they would have moved it to seven and five a couple years ago, which is uh, which is crazy to think about. But that's that's not going to be the case. Six and six is still uh, what bowl eligibility looks like moving forward. A lot of former Sooners are going to be in town this week. Jay White will be here. Jason White, J.D. Reynolds, Paul Thompson. Uh, you've got Joe Washington. You've got Marcus Dupree bringing his second cousin in who's a three-star offensive tackle. you got a lot of former Sooners coming in. you got a lot of uh, big-time recruits coming in. Uh, that is including Bryant Wesco, who is a top-ten player nationally at wide receiver. And it looks like OU leads for him, and he would be by far and away, if you were to get a commitment from him soon, the highest-ranked player you would have in this 24 class. Yeah, if you can get Bryant Wesco on the board soon, like if you could close out a five-star receiver before official visits roll around, that really sets the tone, man, because it's one thing to have a guy committed early in the cycle that has five-star potential, i.e. Jackson Arnold last year, but it's another thing to have a guy that's already cemented his status as a five-star and somebody that can help recruit the DFW area in tandem with Michael Hawkins and Wesco, you know, wide receivers in general, they're just kind of their own breed and Wesco's a lot quieter, keeps to himself. I, I think Mike would be a lot more effective as a peer recruiter than Wesco would be. But I think to have Wesco in guys ears and just be able to say, Hey, look, I'm going to Oklahoma. A lot of us are going to Oklahoma. OU's the place to be. That'll strike a chord with a lot of dudes in DFW that know Wesco and what he's been able to do on Friday nights throughout the fall, as well as on the seven-on-seven circuit. Uh, OU got a wide receiver commit earlier this week, KJ did. Daniels. Um, did did twenty four seven just finally give him a ranking? Of did three they? stars? Did that happen? Well, yeah, uh, yeah. OU now has the number forty nine overall class, and they had OU at the number fifty six ranked class to start the day. Oh, so, look at that! Yeah. He did get his yeah. ranking. Three star, eighty eight. I just randomly looked at it and it was like, oh, there's OU at forty nine. So I because it was OU funny. has two, <laughs> two four stars and a three star currently in this class. Yeah, that's I checked. I checked this morning to see if he had a ranking yet, and he didn't. But I, I guess that's come down this afternoon. So yeah, he is as of right now the number six hundred eighteen player in the nation and the number eighty two wide receiver in the twenty four seven sports composite. So. An addition that is perfect for three-star you, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, uh, they, they've done okay with some three-stars in the past 20 years or so. We'll see if uh, K.J. Daniels will be your probably your third highest-rated wide receiver that you get in a class of three wide receivers, but 
he uh, he got speed. He also might be the fastest player that you have in this class. Um, okay, so some will say, ooh, the 49th-ranked class for OU? They had a top-five class last year. What's going on? Why are things starting so slow? But, if the, I mean, it, they, they don't have a ton of commits right now, but it really feels like they're in really good situations at the wide receiver position, at the defensive line position, really kind of at all positions, but it feels like at D-line and wide receiver. Yes, they have the number 49th-ranked class, but there's, like, good news to share on the OU uh, recruiting front these days. Well, give it about 20 hours, Tyler, and you should be adding another commit to the fold tomorrow afternoon in the form of three-star offensive lineman Isaiah Autry. Oh, there I go again, three-star you. There you go. But – now, heading into the spring game this weekend, the vibes are really, really good with several blue-chip guys that I think could pop early. And so you will have, in all likelihood, commit number four tomorrow in Autry. And I don't think it is at all out of the realm of possibility that by the end of the day, Saturday, you have another public commitment. I think Isaiah Autry, currently a three-star, but if you, like, if you look at his offer list, um, I think there's a real chance he gets up to a four-star by next signing day. In fact, I, I, I might think that Isaiah Autry is going to be a four-star offensive tackle by the time he, uh, he, he inks it in with OU. He there, could there's be. Too many, there's too many big-time offers for me for that not to, to, that not to happen. I, he, he I, whether it's be. Bama or LSU or OU, like they, they see something there. I'll say this much, and this is just one, one person's opinion, but to me, I look at Isaiah Autry and I see a guy that needs quite a bit of development. And – I think that's probably what a lot of those big-time coaching staff see. That you know, They see the frame, they see 6'6", 280, and they think, okay, we can work with that. But I think the three-star rating right now for Isaiah Autry is fair. I need to see a little bit more on tape his senior year before I'm comfortable elevating him to blue-chip status. But definitely a guy that has the stamp of approval from many college coaches who do not recruit scrubs. Ooh, we got a little bit of breaking news for the spring game on Saturday. And no, I'm not seeing an updated score here, but from the uh, Twitter account of our own Toby Rowland, Owen Field 25-yard lines for Saturday's spring game is very similar to what it was last year. So on the 25-yard lines on Saturday, you're going to see the Heisman Trophy like logo, essentially, in gold and a crimson number one next to it. So basically the same thing they had for Baker, but it's a number one instead of a number six. It looks pretty sweet. I yeah, like I'm looking look. at the photo now. Look at Toby breaking news. Voice of the Sooners doubling as your lead team insider. And a gorgeous job by Jason Fares and his crew. Gorgeous job. Immaculate. Looks really good. And I, I would have guessed, I think we even like mentioned it earlier in the show, that on the 25s, like they do with Baker, it's probably going to be the same thing, but with Kyler Murray's number. And that's... That's uh, exactly what's what's going on there. And, and I would guess it's probably going to be the same structure with Kyler, right? You have the official Heisman or the uh, the, the statue presentation before, but I, I wonder if Kyler's going to speak at halftime like Baker did. I'm guessing he's going to. I, I would think so. He is a man of a lot fewer words than Baker Mayfield, <laughs> so he probably won't do any pontificating, but you would think he'll address the crowd at the very least if only for a moment or two. Or as we said yesterday, since you're not having a uh, pregame concert, maybe Kyla Murray will just give us a concert at halftime instead. Maybe give us a little bit of karaoke. Huh? Anyone up for that? Could happen with Kyler. What song would he do? 
what would the what would the odds be in Vegas as far as the song that Kyler Murray would sing? Well, you know what's great about our text line is they'll come up with far better answers. Yeah, than they we will. Four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine. All right, we'll hit a timeout. We'll come back with a final segment coming up next. Keep it locked in the ref. All right, final segment of the day, wrapping it up from the center right here in Norman. Give them a call, 405-310-1575. You heard both of their co-owners today, Kelly Lasher and Gina Dixon, talk about this awesome space. So if you want to see for yourself and reserve it, rent it out, or just really reserve it, uh, the center in Norman, 405-310-1575. Kyler could hum the Call of Duty theme song is uh, what we have on the table. People got jokes, man. People got jokes. Uh, Zane says next year Oklahoma should honor all of their living Heisman Trophy winners at halftime. Now there's an idea, Zane. Zane's got his thinking cap on because that's the thing. We've we've taken for granted honoring all these Heisman Trophy winners. It's like, okay, like what's going to be the big draw next year? What what are they going to do then? Right, SEC so. legend Jason White. Yeah, imagine SEC that. legend Billy Sims. That's what you should do next year. You get Jason White, Billy Sims, Sam Bradford, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jackson Arnold all in the same festivities. SEC legends. That's what it sounds like to me. That's what we'll be calling them next year. Yeah, Heisman winners is what I was thinking. Yeah, SEC Heisman. I'd have to think money – Odds would be on anything from Rock Band, right? Uh, OU Architect says maybe Kyler will play a video game on the big screen. Grill Boy says Kyler's going to play Call of Duty on the Jumbotron at halftime. That could actually be entertaining if he did that. Play uh, play the Xbox on the Jumbotron or something like that. I'd Regardless, Simulcast it on Twitch. That'd probably be their most watched stream of all time. Yeah, no, it's it may be. Hey, any big national storyline to follow? Like Nebraska has their spring game, Colorado, Wisconsin, Bama, LSU, Washington, Notre Dame. Really, we're talking about like Nebraska, Colorado, Bama, or LSU, but anything really nationally to note there with a couple of those having a quarterback battle? I mean, at Notre Dame, I guess I'm just curious to see, and I don't know much how I don't, I don't know how much of it is going to be settled in spring versus in the fall, but curious to see what Sam Hartman looks like in the system up there because obviously he was very productive at Wake Forest, but the Notre Dame scheme, the Notre Dame system, it's a different beast, especially <laughs> given that they're still trying to figure things out in terms of their offensive identity sans Tommy Reese and it seemed like they went through five or six different targets at offensive coordinator before they finally settled on Jared Parker, who was less than impressive in his only yeah. previous experience as a play caller. His two years at West Virginia were 2020 and 2021, where West Virginia ranked barely inside the top 100 in total offense across the FBS. So Sam Hartman and Notre Dame, eager to see what that offense looks like practically on the football field because – I have my questions about that offense's functionality up there in South Bend this fall. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what uh, Notre Dame does in the next three years or so. Um, I just I, I don't really know what to expect. I don't expect them to win a national championship or anything. But there's a there's a few second year head coaches nationally that I look at and say, ah, oh, like, how do I feel about that spot? Brian Kelly feels like he'll be okay at LSU after a really good year one. But some would say Brent Vittables. I mean, there's a lot to question there. 
Um, I, I would say that about Marcus Freeman. I would say that about Billy Napier in Florida. This is a big year, too, for those three guys that I just mentioned. A big year, too, for Napier, for Freeman, and for Brent Venables, all three of those guys. And there's probably even one or two others that I'm completely forgetting about. And I think, honestly, the guy that's under the most pressure in terms of year two head coaches is probably Billy Napier just because Florida's a pressure cooker, man. Florida fans, they get restless real quick if you're not winning. And – Obviously, the standard is high at Oklahoma. The standard is high at Notre Dame. But, man, when you think back on Dan Mullen's tenure at Florida, for instance, Dan Mullen got fired at a juncture which an Oklahoma head coach probably would not have been run out of town, at a juncture which a Notre Dame head coach probably would not have been run out of town. Brian Kelly had plenty of down years at Notre Dame. They stood by him. Heck, Bob Stoops had a couple years. You think back to 2005 and 2014 in particular where the product on the field at Oklahoma was not, well, I shouldn't say not impressive because individually there were some outstanding performers, but seven wins in the regular season in 2005, eight wins in the regular season in 2014, that obviously wasn't up to the Oklahoma standard, but neither of those two guys got run off the ranch. Meanwhile, Billy Napier is stepping into Dan Mullen's shoes when the expectation got set so high at Florida that all it took was one year of six and six for them to chase Dan Mullen off and bring in the sexy name in that coaching cycle and Billy Napier. You know who else I think has a big year too, but had a really good year last year in terms of, you know, what they were before he got there. I, I do think that Lincoln Riley's year two is fascinating in that People are already talking about, oh, gosh, like he didn't fix the defense at USC. The defense was the Achilles heel again. And they've got a much tougher schedule next year. They might have a better football team. They probably will. But they also have a much tougher schedule, those final six games. And, Parker, if they take a little bit of a step back in their final year with Caleb Williams and the defense is the issue again, um, I'm not going to say that people all of a sudden are going to think he's a terrible coach, but – I, I think you could probably see the narrative shift a little bit on that guy in terms of where he ranks in the upper echelon of coaches in college football. It's a sneaky, kind of a big year for Lincoln to break through and maybe even win a playoff game. I don't think he will, but I, I, he can't let the defense be the issue again. Well, that, and if that. the defense is the issue and USC kind of falls flat on its face, I'll tell you what will be happening. Two things. One, Muleshoe will be riding Caleb Williams' coattails into the NFL, and Alex Grinch will be on the streets. Uh, yeah, I think both of those things could happen. And they may just try to hire Garrett Riley out there at USC. USC fans are low-key well. fed up with Grinch. I don't know if you followed the discourse on Grinch from out there, yeah. out west, but they don't love Grinch. They're starting to say, okay, Oklahoma fans, they kind of knew what they were talking about there. Garrett Riley, what, I'm, what am I talking about? It'll be Cliff Kingsbury that's probably the next head coach out there. Appreciate the center for having me out today. Awesome facility right here in Norman. Go check that out. It is uh, amazing. Over here, 2475 Boardwalk Street right here in Norman. Give them a call, 405-310-1575. Back at it tomorrow right here on The Ref. We're the Homeless Suter fans.